what really gets my dick hard is Hey, this is Michael Wagner, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. Welcome to Middle Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. And this is episode 59, and we're diving into something we haven't dove into yet. We did uh, we did Garage Days, but we're doing Garage Inc. Right. We did Garage Days re-revisited. The, the, all the garage talk gets a little confusing. And we're in a garage right now. So. We are in a re-retooled garage. It is, it is re-retooled. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I'm excited. I, we, Ethan and I have actually just unusually just spent like the last hour and a half just hanging out and talking before we recorded this. Yeah, usually Clint comes over to my we studio. We right and, to business. Yeah, we usually will we'll, we'll go outside in my backyard and talk for maybe five or ten minutes. But yeah, Clint's been in my house for about an hour and a half. So, <laughs> But I'm really excited about this record. Me too, man. I, both of us have been, have been listening to this thing like crazy in the last week. And I told Clint this before we started recording. Um, I've given way more love to disc two than disc one since this, even since it came out. And I'm the opposite. So that's interesting. Yeah. I, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was more familiar with the songs on disc two because it is the garage Day ZP plus all those B sides. And I was just more excited about disc two when I first got it. Right. You know? Um, and, uh, yeah, it was really cool to dive into disc one and like, I obviously I've listened to it a bunch, but I, I hadn't dove in this deep in a while. I just so. love the sound of that band with Bob rock. Me too. It really made me miss uh, old Bobby Rock, uh, and I think I texted you today. God, I wish they would. Uh, Death Magnetic sounded like this. I know, I know, yeah. I agree. Well, listen, we're going to get into all that, of course. Yeah. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we had a really huge week this week. Um, we got a shit ton of new listeners. Yeah, and so that's been really cool and exciting. If if you kind of got on the ride last week, or if you're new, we're uh, obviously an all Metallica podcast. Ethan and I are two professional touring musicians based in Nashville. We get together here at HQ1. We've dubbed it HQ1. Yes. Uh, once a week to talk about Metallica. And um, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> new listeners. Well, welcome. If you're a new listener. Oh, yeah, and, that's and what I was saying. If you're, if you're in uh, the whatever number it was uh, of new listeners, then uh, thanks for being on the ride with us. Uh, we're excited you're here. Excited listening to us. And uh, yeah, yeah. Um, we were a bit confused when we saw these numbers just like start peaking like crazy in the last week. Started looking around social media like, did somebody like famous, uh, you know, shout us out or something? Yeah, a guy we named were, Clint Wells did. Yeah, Ethan Luck did. Um, but uh, whatever the reason is, we're grateful uh, nonetheless, just because you know we want the we want the word of Metallica and the word of our podcast to get out to as many people as possible. So we're grateful for all you new listeners out there. Yeah, and here's the deal: um, we're a very fan friendly podcast. Um, ever since the beginning, we have tried to find ways to give back to our listeners. 
in the early days when we uh, when we before Patreon, which we'll talk about that in a second, um, we spent money out of our own pockets to give away guitar picks, and yeah. we've been always been trying to make it cool. We're actually at a really cool spot now. We're able to give out five gifts a month to our listeners. That's correct. And the way that you uh, become eligible for that is you just leave a, a positive review on iTunes. It's really easy to do. Click, click, clack, clack, click, click. Bleep, it's bleep, that bleep, easy, bleep, and it's bleep, done. Bleep. Uh, and your name goes into my lovely uh, gift from my wife, a Skull Voss. It is a very lovely Voss. We draw five names a month, and um, we're going to draw those names right now. Indeed we are. So for the first gift, um, and we kind of ha- usually have a big granddaddy prize, but for our first, our, our first gift is the Scary Guy Stencil. The Scary Guy is sort of a, a Black Album era. It's a, it's a design by James Hetfield. And it's the it's the sort of demon face thing, right? Really, before that, it was on uh, it's on the Binge and Purge right. box set, and it's got it's holding the, the bird. So, if you want to stencil that logo on your on your car, but. on your kid, wherever, <laughs> on your child, wherever you want to put it, you can do it. Ethan's going to draw the first name for the scary guy stencil. Indeed, I am. I'm about to do it right now. All right, hang on. Here, here it comes the scary guy stencil. Oh. This is not. Uh, this is this is not predetermined. But our fellow podcaster, Mister Brad Blazik, Brad Blazik has won the stencil, and he has a, he has a kid. He can he can stencil yeah. up his kid. He has a couple of kids. He can go ahead and stencil them up. So yeah. so you'll so you'll know they belong to him. <laughs> exactly. Oh, if that's you Brad's guys kid. Uh, haven't heard us talk about it before, our friend Brad Blazik, first of all, is a guy that gave me the Snake Pit Pass to St. Louis. We have a whole episode about that. Yep. You can hear all about our metallic adventures. Secondly, he's the co-host of an amazing Pearl Jam podcast um, that he co-hosts with another guy named Brad. Yeah, two Brads. Who is my two Brads? Be- one podcast. Who's who's actually in real life my best friend. Uh, it's called Single Podcast Theory. It's real similar to our show if you like the flavor of our show, except they talk about motherfucking Pearl Jam. No big deal. So congrats, Brad. Our next uh, gift is the Black Metallica Beach Ball, similar to the mm. ones on the Worldwide Tour that they would that would come down at the end. Yeah. Perfect for winter. <laughs> well, it is black. <laughs> it is black. Uh, hopefully someone from like Florida wins, and they can use it right away. Well, you can just hang out in your backyard again with your kid, and you guys can get frostbite together playing with this Black Metallica Beach Ball. <laughs> uh, the winner of this is our friend Turtle Girl. One, two, two, oh, three. nice. She left her review in May. Uh, she's from the U.S. Congrats, Turtle Girl. Turtle Girl. Tur- turtle girl. H- kind of hard to say. Turdy Gertie. The Turdy Gertie. The Turdy Gertie. <laughs> Featured on heavily on Low Man's Lyric. All right, congrats, Turtle Girl. Congratulations. What's our next prize? Our twin? next prize, uh, and this one actually makes me a little jelly. It does because I'm a fan of the sport. It's not because of the sports. It's the puss head. It's the yin-yang flaming skulls, but it's a hockey puck. Yeah, that's very cool. Now, why they decided to make a hockey puck is literally beyond me. Don't understand it. I love hockey, and I might have to buy one of these for myself. Do you really love hockey? Oh, yeah. I was watching the Predators game across the street at my 80-year-old neighbor's house, neighbor's house last night. Well, don't get me wrong. When they almost won the cup, I was watching all those I games. literally have a collection of hockey pucks right in this drawer right here. Show, show me one. Throw one at me. Hit me in the face of one. Here's the Calgary, Calgary, Calgary Flames. I can't believe I just caught... Well, a former athlete here just caught that. Here's a Predators one. Okay, don't throw that one at me. No. Just look at it. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, let's see who's going to win this uh, luxurious pus-head-designed coffee, right. coffee puck. Coffee puck. I literally just said coffee puck. You did. All right, here we go. Uh, ooh. Ammer? A-M-R? Or is that a mirror? I don't know. Costandi, 
Okay. Amr Costandi. Uh, this is Clint's handwriting. It looks like it says AMR and then last name Costandi. Well, if it looks like it, it is. Anyways, it. Amr or Amir Costandi, you have won the hockey puck. Uh, left left their review on uh, March 13th, 2017 from the U.S. Neat. Neato. Love it. Love it. All right. We got two more gifts. Now, here's the deal, by the way. If you just hear your iTunes user account name read... You need to send us an email at metalupyourpodcastshow at gmail.com saying, hey, I won the thing. Ah, Give me the hockey puck. Oh, my gosh. Uh, with your address and all that shit. And we will we will mail it to you. I literally go to the post office and mail all this crazy Metallica yeah. shit. We don't have assistants that do this for us. Well, we gave them the year off. Exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. Our next prize is the Ride the Lightning Fleece Blanket. Now, I have one of these in my studio at HQ2. Ethan has snuggled up with it many an afternoon. Mm, I have. Uh, it actually is a pretty dope blanket. Pretty uh, warm. You got, I know you got the Puppets one. I got the Puppets one, and I, it is such a comfortable blanket that I've barely used it because my wife hogs it. She doesn't even, like, she doesn't Metallica. even like Metallica. She doesn't but... like Metallica. Literally, right now, she's asleep in the other room, and that thing is on top of her. <laughs> <laughs> is that how blankets work? <laughs> Wait, it, so she's asleep, and it's on top of her. Could, it could be. What if you want something comfortable to lay on? It could be below you. Yeah, a whole bed made of them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't worry. At some point, my entire bed, pillowcases included, will all be Master of Puppets. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then you can live with me when you get divorced. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Uh... The winner of the fleece blanket, the aforementioned fleece blanket, is Experimental, who left their review on November 14th from the U.S. Congratulations, Experimental. Congratulations. Get ready to be warm. <laughs> Let's get ready to get warm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And for the granddaddy prize, we have the Kill 'Em All remaster vinyl. Yes. It's a good one. Pretty neat. I own it. I own it. I love it. I listen to it loud. As do I. It's awesome. I bought mine at a little record store, also called The Groove. We have a groove here in Nashville, uh, in Norfolk, Virginia. Oh, cool. Yeah. If you're in Norfolk and you want to go to a cool record shop, go to The Groove. Okay. All right. The Kill Mall Remastered Vinyl. Drum roll, please. All right. The winner of the Kill Mall Remastered Vinyl. This name's kind of funny. Chinese Boy 4321. <laughs> Left their review uh, on June 16th, 2017. All right, Chinese Boy 4321. Yay! You won the Kill em All Just imagine, remastered vinyl. imagine sitting in front of your computer. I don't know if this was five years ago or 10 years ago. And you're being prompted to come up with a username. Hmm. What should Chi I do? Chinese Boy. Let's see. My family is from China. I feel like I'm kind of like Anatomically, a boy. Anatomically, I'm a male. Yeah. I'm not really a like a man yet, but... More like a boy. Yeah. It's kind of like that weird in-between space Britney Spears was in when she wrote, not a girl, not yet a woman. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, which brings us to our subtopic this week, Britney Spears. Uh, this is now a Britney Spears episode. Well, there you go. You guys heard it. We love giving this shit away. Um, it's a way to say thank you for leaving us the review. By the way, if you want to go leave the review, even though you don't win anything, that'd be great, too. The oh, reviews yeah. sort of help us become more visible. Uh, we don't just like it to read nice things about ourselves. Uh, it only takes a second. It really helps the show. If you dig the show, just go do it. It's that simple. Yeah. Click, clack, click, clack, clack. Done. Now, the way I mentioned before, the way we're able to actually buy these things, uh, thank God we're not having to buy them out of our pocket, we have this thing called Patreon. Can you yeah. tell the good people what that is? Uh, I'd be happy to. This is a, a great way for you to uh, support the show financially. Uh, we have uh, multiple tiers of things you can you can uh, donate to. Uh, 
everything from a dollar all the way up to whatever. What's our highest one? Like ten million dollars, I think. Our highest one actually is fifty bucks, and we actually do have a few people who do it. Yeah, um, but at, at the minimum, if you donate five dollars for fifty our, bucks, I get to stencil the scary guy on your butt. <laughs> exactly, and we're gonna film it and post it to our Which, socials. in your case, I actually paid you fifty dollars to let me do that. That's right. Yeah, I'll pay. The, I'll pay that back to you. But no, it's really cool. Go, it's, so it's Patreon, p a t r e o n dot com backslash metal up your podcast. Just go check it out. The coolest thing, and this is pertinent to this week, is we recorded a cover EP of Metallica song, yeah, seven and songs. that actually came out this week. It came out yesterday. Yesterday, yes. Well, you're listening to this. It was. It was like five days yeah, ago. I but, need a time machine to figure out the algorithm. On yeah, this, we'll but, get a time machine with our Patreon money soon. Ethan and I, uh, being professional musicians, are are fairly adept. We know our way around the old studio, and yeah. uh, we took seven Metallica songs, most of them fairly deep cuts. The Unnamed Feeling, Freyden's Insanity. I think the the most non deep cut would be Sanitarium, Sanitarium that yeah. I did. Yeah, we did Low Man's Lyric, Fixer, Unforgiven Three, and. Uh, and a lot of these, I think it's cool to point out, like, not only do we work on some of these at our, at our, our home studios. We made them on the road. On the road, too, yeah. I mean, like, I, I remember sending Clint the first uh, quick little rough mix of Unforgiven 3, and I was, uh, I believe I was in uh, Syracuse, New York, and I it was like 2 in the morning, and I was recording the vocal for it in a bathroom. I remember getting that from you. <laughs> I was in a bus in Sacramento, California, in my bunk, uh, and I remember... I remember shitting. I was so excited. Uh, your 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 poor ride lining blanket. <laughs> um, yeah, the Patreon's cool. At the very minimum, though, what you do get is a shout out on the show. And we got three new patrons this week, we so do. I want I want to shout out to them. Yeah, who uh, we got? Mikhail Nilsson, Matthew Goodwin, and Ben Jenkins. What's up, dudes? Thanks for donating to the show. We appreciate it. Man, I'm so grateful, literally, for every person who listens to the show every week. People write in. People engage with us on social media. But for you patrons out there who've decided to, because here's the deal: in the grand scheme of things, is if you if you do five bucks a month, really, that's sort of where we have most of our patrons. That's yeah, what that's yeah. what gives you access to the EP. Five bucks a month is like, I mean, that's a cup of coffee. Oh yeah, you I know? mean that's that, that's a an average cup of coffee at like a cool coffee shop. Right. I mean, it's you know, and we're not begging for money or anything like that, but it's just it's just so cool to me that these people really are willing to go that extra mile to help the show grow. And by the way, we put all that money back in the show, not only with the gifts, yeah. the EP that just came out, um, our friend Nick Makoviak, who's an art teacher, made this fucking badass pusshead inspired oh, artwork so for it. It's so good. And rather than, which he was, by the way, willing to just give to us to let us use, but we were actually able to pay him yeah, and um, our good friend Nathan Thomas, who mixed and mastered the EP, we're actually able to pay these people for their work and be, yeah, being I mean, working and the, musicians and, and artists ourselves. It just meant a lot to be able to compensate right, yeah. them. Well, and and when you look at you know Nick's artwork or listen to Nathan's mixes, I mean, these guys are clearly talented at what they do, and they deserve to to yeah. get compensated for their work. And and we're so happy we could do that just from the support of Patreon. Totally, and like you know, there are other associated expenses with the podcast. We actually have a new website coming out that we, we actually yeah. are paying a little bit more for than we were before right maybe by the time that you were listening to this right now it's active should be uh or at least uh it it will be up but maybe not maybe like a page or two right will still be developing but and that'll be metal up your podcast.com yeah right now metal up your podcast.com takes you basically to our simple cast website once this website is launched that same address will go to our official website we're gonna have the metal up your podcast 2018 um playboy calendar up exactly real, real yeah. soon yeah we're gonna have that uh we have a car washing calendar coming out too yeah yeah it's gonna we be went and did a bunch of car washing over on dickerson pike <laughs> yeah a bunch of trans ams <laughs> 
Daisy Dukes were worn. Anyway, we don't want to be too gushy over here, but we really do appreciate that level of support. It really enables the show to grow in, in quantity and quality oh, yeah, and all yeah. that stuff. So thanks, guys. We love you guys. Uh, here's the deal. The socials, we're on them. Come follow us on that shit. You know how to find them. Twitter, you... Instagram, Facebook. Just look up our thing. You'll find us. Yeah. We engage on it every single day. Oh, yeah. Definitely. My wife's like, hey, come pay attention to me. My baby's like, daddy, I'm hungry. I'm like, hey. I'm doing my I'm doing a poll about my dogs are like my dogs are like we're shitting in the house let us outside I'm like sorry I gotta talk to so and so on Instagram the best and most direct way to uh, get a hold of us though is through our email address uh, Ethan and I really try to take the time to respond to everyone even though that's getting harder because we're getting a shit ton a week yeah it is tough um, but having said that if you want to email us at melbypodcastshow at gmail.com we might read it on the show we're going to read a handful now let's get into the emails let's do it All right. Our first email is from Peter Lynch. He says, hey, Clint Nathan, just finished listening to your covers EP, and I think it's fucking awesome. I was a little bit skeptical given that you were doing a cover EP of not only the greatest heavy metal band, but, <clears throat> excuse me, ever, but they themselves, unlike no other band, can cover another band's song and own it. But I was very impressed. My favorites are the Outlaw Torn. Was it on that EP? Not sure. Look it up. Yeah, I'll have to look it up. <laughs> uh, favorites are the Outlaw Torn, the Freedom's of Sanity. Uh, it sounds uh, it sounds more pop than heavy metal, uh, and this is a cool version. I think one of my favorite Metallica songs. Sorry, it's one of my favorite Metallica songs. So I was a little worried, but I think you guys did a great job. I can't wait to hear the other 150 odd songs. Ha ha ha! Peter Lynch. Well, we're planning on doing one of these cover like it, the we called it "Cover Our World Blackened," which cleverly pinned by uh, our homie Ethan Luck over yeah, here. Yeah, uh, we were texting uh, a couple days before this kind of released, and I was trying to think of like a cool little pun or something, and I was going through Metallica lyrics. And I got to the Justice for All, and I saw cover our, or uh, color our world. Our, ugh, I can't even talk tonight. Color our world blackened, and I was like, cover our world. No, blackened. it's good. And we called it Volume One, so we're going to do a Volume Two for this year. And I, may, I guess with the 150 there, maybe by uh, 2025, we'll have covered the entire catalog. Yeah, I, I hope so. Uh, thanks, Peter. Really appreciate. Oh wait, sorry, that. Uh, I didn't realize. Uh, oh, so he has a PS. He has a PS. It's on the next page. He says PS. It's Australia Day today, so make sure you have some Vegemite on toast for vegan Ethan and fry some lamb for the barbecue for Clint. Uh, but whatever you do, don't drink a Foster's. Tastes like shit. I've never had a Foster's. I've had a Foster's. It's like their Bud Light or something. It's, it's I mean, super cheap beer. I don't I think like, it's terrible. I like Bud Light. I think what Australians are probably most upset about with Foster's is that in America... We, we market it as Australian for beer. Right. It's like, oh, all the Australians drink this. Wait, they have a different word for it? <laughs> yeah. Those are great. Those are great commercials, by Here, the way. Here's the, um, you, you, I, I know for a fact you will not be able to resonate with this because you're from California. Here's yeah, totally. the trajectory of a redneck <laughs> through their, through their, um, well, we have rednecks. They're, they're desert people. Um, but I'm, yeah. you have them, but you aren't one. No. And I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm this is my autobiography. Okay. Oh, cause you're a redneck. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, if your name was Clint Wales, you might be a redneck. I almost went into pawpaw, but I'm going to save right, it. Right. Uh, here's what happens. Uh, you start drinking beer when you're from Alabama like me at a pretty young age. We started doing a lot of dubious shit at really young ages. That's sure. just, that's Alabama. Now, I started drinking around 12 or 13. And now at that time, you're either stealing your parents' liquor or you're just drinking beer like Bud Light, okay? Right. You drink Bud, and then you move on through high school and then into your early uh, and mid-college experience, and that's all shitty, cheap beer. Sure. In your 20s, you get maybe your first job. For me, it was maybe some of my first real gigs. And then you discover craft beer and uh, imported beer, 
maybe not Foster's, but you you just you discover Guinness and you discover Bass and you discover Newcastle and all this shit from yeah, all these yeah. other places, right? You do that for maybe ten years. You get into your thirties, where I'm at now, and you're like, I'll take a Bud Light. A Bud Light, or like currently we're drinking Skull Vodka, which is the cheapest vodka you can buy at the liquor store. And what do we? What do I always get at Mickey's? I get the Miller High Life. Miller High Life, yeah, that's with a right. pint glass. I class it up with the pint you have glass. To class it up a little. You got to, to feel like like a human being. It really, sometimes. Um, in in terms of visiting like neighborhood bars, I really felt a sense of accomplishment when I would go into Mickey's. Um, and they would just immediately put a Miller High Life down with a fucking pint glass. Oh, dude, that's that's an accomplishment. I mean, that's you're a local at that bar at that point. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the trajectory of a redneck. <laughs> Minus all the racism and stupid shit. Yeah. Um, uh, by the, thanks, Peter, for the first email. Thank you. Chris Maffey writes, Hey, guys, just wanted to say how delighted I was when I heard the impromptu Michael Jackson discussion slash karaoke. <laughs> we did do Heal the World. I forgot about uh, that. <laughs> on the Pusset episode, since Michael is my favorite artist of all time. Dangerous was the first cassette I ever owned as a kid, and it's still my favorite album ever. Wow, that's... That's strong. That's, yeah, wow. Dangerous was my first CD. Um, really? Okay. He says, one of my favorite things about the podcast is the fact that you guys are so musically diverse and well-rounded, so it was pretty cool to hear that you were both familiar with tracks from Dangerous. I've occasionally wondered how many people would be in the center of the Metallica slash Michael Jackson Venn diagram, <laughs> so it was fun to hear a little bit of that happen on the podcast. Great episode as always. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate wow. that he, he notices that and appreciates it. Um we obviously are diehard Metallica fans. Sure. And, and actually, Ethan and I, I think, could make a good run for for claiming we're actually metal fans. Oh, yeah, we, for we're sure. We're into different metal. Yeah, yeah. You're more into Anthrax and Megadeth. Old school. I, I'm more yeah. into Pantera and Tool, maybe. We both love Alice in Chains. Yeah. We both love Sabbath. Sure, of course. Um, But it might, it might surprise some of our listeners to know what, some of the other stuff we listen to. I mean, by the way, before we started recording this, Ethan was playing me some of his new reggae record. That's right, everybody. And I'm, I'm, not, making, I'm making a reggae record soon. Well, and we're not joking. <laughs> no, I'm not joking at and all. And it's fucking awesome. Well, here's the thing. Uh, you know, some people that maybe don't know me from my past bands and things like that. I mean, the first almost, I would say, eight to ten years of my touring life were in two different bands. One called the Dingies, one called the Supertones. We're like ska, rock, reggae stuff. Right. So, I mean, I... I so, it's no surprise to people who've maybe... Because we yeah. have a lot of listeners that are familiar with those. Yeah. Those, people, those were big bands, so... If people have followed me through that kind of stuff, it's no surprise that I'm making this kind of record. And honestly, I've been wanting to make something like this for a long time. My last few EPs I've released, which you can check out on ethanlug.bandcamp.com. They've been like kind of like punk rock. Yeah, kind of punk rock. A little country inspired. Yeah. A little twang here and there. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just something that I, I'm, I've been dying to make for a while, and, and when I started writing this stuff, it just the, like the floodgates opened, and I was like, okay, this is where I'm going. So, well, I just think I don't I don't know if it's a generational thing, but I think that for me, really getting into music because of my age in the '90s, I know you're similar. Is it, it was really less tribal in the sense that I didn't have to identify with a certain band or group. I, right. I, I dabbled in that. Sure. When I was really heavy in my high school Metallica thing, it, it felt like a club, like. If you don't like, you know, like, fuck you if you don't get it. it <laughs> yeah, right. But it really, I didn't have much of that. Yeah. And, and that's really car carried over in my adulthood. I will say to you, Chris, um, Dangerous is also my favorite Michael Jackson record, which is insane when you consider that that motherfucker also wrote Bad and Thriller, Thriller yeah. and Off the Wall. <laughs> yeah. So Off the Wall was okay. Thriller uh, was, you know. Don't start till you get it. Thriller was all deep cuts, right? Yeah. No hits on that record. Yeah. No, yeah. No Quincy whatsoever. Jones really couldn't turn anything around on that. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Uh, but thanks, Chris. We really appreciate that email. 
And speaking of Chris's, Uh-oh. our next email is from Chris, Christopher Yurgis, our buddy who uh, set up the Mini Metallica Museum at our podcast party. And a patron of the show. And a patron of the show. And just a good dude. Chris is a cool dude, man. This is a great email, by the way. I read this earlier. Uh, today, so this is about the EP that dropped. Yeah. So Christopher Yurgis says, gents. The esteemed Academy of Metal Up Your Ass Arts and Sciences, <laughs> which includes the executive board members of Dave, Papa, Hulk, Hacksaw, and chaired by the Beard of Torben, have concluded their voting and would like to present you with the following recognitions. All right, so this is an unofficial, now uh, impromptu award ceremony. So... Um, we're gonna go ahead and bring out uh, the presenters here. Uh, so the first category, um, we're gonna have uh, actually uh, the Hulkster come out and, and read this category. Okay, for so Hulkster uh, for the best zoning it in a cover. All right, brothers, best zoning it in a cover, and the winner is the unnamed feeling as performed by Clint Wells. All right, yeah, yeah. all right. Thanks, Hulkster. Um, I, I accept. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the next category is um, best notes in a cover. What do you think, Papa? Well, I don't mean to be telling tales out of school now, and I'd be lying if I said I heard every performance in the category, but uh, I reckon the best notes in the cover uh, for the Metal Up Podcast EP now would be the phrase in the sanctity performed by Ethan Luck. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, I'm so honored. Man, I, I, he could hardly say it. I know. It's amazing. I think he said sanctity. <laughs> Sanctity. <laughs> Next category is best vocal arrangement in a cover. And oh my gosh, Becca's here to present this category. Ama- is Becky here? Amazing. I'm oh so my god. Literally, she's literally here. I'm so stoked to be here, you guys. It's seriously like the coolest thing. I literally died when I heard I got to present. This is amazing. So, best vocal arrangement in a cover. Ugh. I'm the cover girl, by the way. I'm trying so hard. And the winner is Fixer by Clint Wells. Oh, man. Thank you, Becky. Oh, my God. Clint, congrats. It's such an honor to we'll see you. Let's take a selfie later. Okay. Please don't put a roofle in my drink later. <laughs> All right. I think next up um, for doing the best instrumental arrangement category, coming out of the deep, dark depths of Tennessee is, I think, Dave Mustaine? Dave, are you here? <laughs> Now, hello, best instrumental arrangement category. <laughs> oh, wow. I like to think of my song, The Mechanics, as the best instrument. Oh, I'll call it Cthulhu, but it was called When Hell Freezes Over. <laughs> well, anyway, nice story. Best instrumental arrangement goes to Loman's Lyric, performed by Clint Wells. Yeah. Yeah. Congrats, Clint. Dave. Thank you, Dave. Man, it's so nice of you. Yeah. All right, now, next category, we have Best Performance in a Cover. You know who I saw backstage and he said he was actually going to be presenting this award? It was Turner Duckworth. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I don't know he was here. Yeah, he's here. Turner Duckworth is here, Turner everybody. Turner Duckworth! It is, it is my honor to be here and to present the award for Best Performance in a Cover. And the winner is... The Unforgiven Three. <laughs> it's performed by Ethan Luck. We'll have a side of Grey Poupon with that award. <laughs> Grey Poupon is... is, is uh, I, I smothered that track in Grey Poupon. Yeah, he did. He lathered it. All right, and last but not least, good God, this segment is so bizarre. It is. We have, uh, to prevent 
prevent prevent prevent this next category. To prevent the next category is our good friend, Mr. Torben Ulrich, father of acclaimed. Oh, thank you. Acclaimed. Thank you so Metal much. Metal drummer Lars Ulrich is here to present best original arrangement in a cover. I'm so honored to be here, everybody. It's great. I love presenting things. I uh, I would present a great serve in tennis. <laughs> <laughs> and I love to present this award right here for best original arrangement in a cover. And the winner is Welcome Home Sanitarium by Ethan Luck. Wow. Aww. Thanks, Torben. I'm glad Torben the came. Torb. Well, the big award is the last one we got here. Yeah, the uh, the big award, the best song in cover yeah. form. Wow. I think, uh, amazingly, who was it, you know, I saw was able to make it. Um, Who's that? He was hanging out by catering backstage, okay. and he was real hungry because he really couldn't find anything to eat because it was mostly like sort of a meat friendly yeah. catering. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Is Vegan Ethan here? I you're right, I saw him by catering. Let's bring Vegan Ethan out okay. here. Uh well I am I'm, I'm a little hungry. I, I haven't eaten a lot today. I, I the catering's not really set up. It's you know twenty eighteen. You don't have to eat meat all the time. It's not good for you. But hunter gatherers we didn't you know how hard it is to kill buffalo? Any anyway as as long as no animals were hurt in the in the making of this category, uh, the 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 winner here. Oh, let me see. My blood sugar is really low. The winner of the best song in cover form. Oh, 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 let me get my protractor. Uh, Clatwell's uh, uh, the Outlaw Tour. Whoa! Congrats. Thanks, Vegan Ethan. I'm gonna go get some uh, cheese that tastes like a ma- uh, that tastes like a football now. Some nut cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyways. Okay. Um, thank you, Chris, here just for your uh, award ceremony. And thank you to all of our, our, our frequent guests for stopping by tonight to present. Um, he finishes the email by saying, that's all for this year's award show. Dave, Papa, Hulk, Hacksaw, and the Grandmaster himself, Torben. We'd like to thank you for tuning in. P- oh! P.S. The cover art is badass. It needs to be on a shirt. Yeah, man. Congrats to Nick McCoviat for knocking it out of the fucking park with that artwork. Uh, amazing. All right, our friend Danny Derry Derry. Danny Derry Berry. He says, sup, guys, which is slang so, for what's up, by yeah. the way, which itself is slang for what's going on. What is happening? He says, much respect to Clint for your opinion on Dave Mustaine. At this point, he's ridden that hate train off and on for so long, it just gets to be enough already. Countdown to Extinction is one of my all-time favorites, despite Dave's voice singing it and just being an all-around weird guy that people seem only to like small doses of. Ouch. What he's talking about, real quick, before I read the rest of his email, is it was announced this week, sadly, that Slayer is going to be doing their last tour this year. Last world tour, yeah. And I, I've just got to imagine that a lot of that has to do with Tom's neck problems. Tom has a lot of, like, from headbanging and such... He 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 can't even really move his neck much on stage. So yeah, that's a bummer. I just think the physical limitations as they get older, making that kind of music, they're having to basically yeah that kind of music you you can't play forever. I mean, it takes a toll on your body, especially if you're headbanging like crazy or maybe a drummer in that genre. Really, anybody in that genre. I mean, the way you're playing, how hard you're playing. It's and, a young man's game, you know? yeah. And but so anyway, so what, what that of course, Dave Mustaine is now the Donald Trump of fucking metal Twitter. <laughs> So he's come out and said, oh, we need a few more Big Four shows. That's only right, guys. Come on, guys. Even though he said he won't do more Big Four shows, and even though Slayer said they won't do more Big Four shows and largely insinuated it's because of Dave Mustaine being a, an asshole. Yeah, wasn't there an issue during the Big Four shows that, that, that uh, Megadeth wasn't direct support? Uh, I don't know. what the Who knows what the real problems are? You know what the real problem is, honestly? You want to trace the thread? Let's do it. All the way back to the fucking 
genesis of Dave's problem. But him getting kicked out of Metallica? He was kicked out of Metallica. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm serious. That's yeah. it. No, I think you're right. And and I, I, I'm not a Megadeth fan, but it it's, makes me sad to say that for all you Megadeth fans out there, your love of that band, every great thing they did was entirely predicated on his resentment and hatred for Metallica. It's and, true. And that's a fucking shame. I'm a Megadeth fan. Because that music should have been made out of out of joy and love, a desire, to, a competitive desire, no problem. But it just seems more and more likely that it, it, he's still filled with bitterness yeah. and resentment. And one minute, everything's cool in the gang, and the next minute, he's being a fucking asshole. Yeah, I don't get it. As a Megadeth fan, and as uh, someone that spent a day with Dave Mustaine, like, he was very kind and gracious and told great stories and we had a blast. And then, you know, fast forward, whatever it was, 12 years, it's just a bummer to see the shit he puts on Twitter and it's like he's trying to start shit and it's like, dude, we don't need your opinion every time something happens. It's also a little bittersweet too because you in the Metallica journey, okay, you see these moments where you can you can see what it could have been in, in terms of them being cool together. Not, right, not right, them yeah. working together and being in a band, but like, for example, I recently watched his performances on the 30th anniversary shows and James is like, we want to bring up a guy, a great guitar player, um, a dude who who took his music. He's a great songwriter. He forged his own. Like he's saying the nicest things you can oh, say yeah. about Megadeth. He brings Dave up. the The attitude is very humble, very vibey. Dave plays all the Kill 'Em All. He's like, we go, we got to play some Kill 'Em All songs, right? Right. Yeah. Of course, they play Jump in the Fire, which Dave wrote, and it's like, why can't it be like that? It's so easy. Or you see Dave and Lars in the Some Kind of Monster documentary crying together and shit. Yeah. And sort of like mending these wounds and then it's just all drummed up again all this bullshit then you see oh they're doing these big four shows amazing the big four on a stage doing a however many shows they did a limited run of right, shows yeah. but then it's just he can't fucking chill out i think at the end of the day it's like okay everything's fine everything's fine whoa shit i'm not metallica no i'm still bitter yeah i'm yeah. still not metallica i it's think a it bummer. boils down it's to a that. total bummer i mean I, I i still listen to megadeth i still like what they put out i still like you know the riffs dave writes all these things but when I see this shit, you know, it's usually on Twitter. It just bums me out. I'm just like, come on, dude. Well, you know what? The sad thing is that Dave Mustaine is great. You know, like yeah, he's, he's a great, great guitar player, a great riff writer, a great soloist, and a great songwriter. Yeah. But, you know, anyway, the, the rest of the email says, uh, why else do you think a group of 20-year-olds kicked you out of the band, Dave? Because you're fucking annoying. Anyways, if Dave wants to dig his heels in and we never get a No Life to Leather LP box set... It was far from the best stuff they would come to do after this, after his exit from the band, which I agree with. Um, he says, I do love his playing and his writing style. He's a genius songwriter, I believe. But that often has to come with some weird behavior. He's just a weird, annoying guy. So d here's what Danny is saying. And he's saying, I'm a fan. I'm just tired of this shit. Yeah, me too. Could you imagine if James was that petulant? It'd be like, dude, I like your, I like fucking Master Puppets, but God damn it. It'd be tough. I mean, I think it, if, if James was that way, it would have been tough to start this podcast. Uh, yeah. We'd be like, okay, we love Metallica, but gosh, I mean, like if someone said, hey, do you want to start a Meg Megadeth podcast? You'd be like, yeah, I don't know if I want to get into that. Like Dave's so up and down, blah, blah, blah. Like with Metallica, it's like you you can always say great things about this band. Yeah. With Megadeth, it's kind of like, yeah, they're a great band. I love their records. But it's like, I feel like if we did a Megadeth podcast, it would be a lot of negativity talk. You know, you know who I consistently like in Megadeth, though, is Dave Ellison. He's one of the nice... I met him before, too. One of the nicest dudes I've he, ever met. Did you see what came out today where he described Lars as the Steve Jobs of thrash metal? Yeah. 
I, I he, agree with that. He's always giving them appropriate credit. He's the one that he's the one that said. I think it was during that behind the scenes footage of the Big Four shows. He's the one that said, uh, like the, everyone talks about the Big Four. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, there's there's one, and then there's the rest of us. Yeah, it's in Mick Wall's book. Yeah, I, well, that's where I read that. Yeah, is Dave saying that. And there's another part of Mick Wall's book where I think it was around Black Album when Black Album came out, and he was talking to Ellison. It might have been Marty Freeman, but I think it was Dave Ellison where he was like. It's like his first listen to the Black Album, and right. he was just like, "That's why they're Metallica." Like yeah. he was like, "Case closed." Case closed. That's exactly. why they're the best. Yeah, that's exactly. why they're the best. Yep. You know, for sure. They probably had their laughs during Load and Reload and Saint Anger, but until up until Black Album, they were fucking it, indisputable. You know Megadeth went down that down that road too. They made a record called Risk that was fucking terrible. It was like them, like, because to, to me, like, the, we'll get off this in a second, but. The, the comparison with different records it was like Injustice for All was Megadeth's like Hangar eighteen or uh, sorry uh, Rest in Peace. Um, the Black <laughs> Album was Megadeth had Countdown to Extinction. Um, Megadeth had Euthanasia after that, which was fucking great. Just but, like the Pied Piper. <laughs> that's on that record, but right? they ended on that's on uh, Countdown to Extinction. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But right. they ended up doing a record called Risk, and I would consider that maybe like their load reload thing, but much worse. So that's all I got to say about that. We're, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't stuff. consider load and reload a, a misstep. But anyway, let's, um, move, let's move on from, on from this crap. Okay. Uh, next email is from Kevin Coleman Jr. Cheers from Long Island, New Jersey. Sorry, New, New, I, I read ahead. Oh I read God. ahead. I read ahead. Let's start over. Cheers from Long Island, New York, New Jersey. I've been on board since the church giggles and never really tur- never turned back. By the way, that was the first episode I heard. Literally listened to every word of the podcast each week. I've been a Metallica fan since in utero and have been excuse me, to pretty much every show in the New York area uh, from every tour starting with the summer of 94 at Jones Beach with Danzig and Suicidal. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's cool. Um, some of the noble noble ones include uh, the free show in the parking lot in Philly, 97, Wood- Woodstock, 99, the big four at Yankee Stadium, and the most recent year in Union- last year in Uniondale. Uh, your podcast is so incredibly informative and at the same time entertaining as hella fuck. <laughs> that's some Bay Area talk. That's like Bay Area mixed with New Jersey, I guess. <laughs> Bro, that's fucking hell of fuck. I don't know. Um, love you guys and keep up the good work. Say hi to Dave and Torben for me, please. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Kevin Coleman um, Jr. Dude, Kevin Coleman Jr. got to go to Woodstock 99, which we're going to do, do an episode on that. We're going to do an episode on that. Absolutely. That, that performance is just fucking amazing. I'm, I'm, honestly, most people's performances at that at that festival that year were amazing. And as much as I can dog all day on Limp Biscuit, they had a memorable performance there. That's where people were fucking lighting shit on fire and Fred Durst threw out like a big piece of plywood and was like crowd surfing on top of it. And there was like, it was like mayhem. Whoa. Not that I like Limp Bizkit. I'm saying like memorable shit. That's when Green Day had their infamous like mud fight with the crowd while in the middle of their set. Like literally the crowd's flinging mud at them. Not because they hate them. Just it, it, like Billy Joe threw one and all of a sudden like 8 million people started throwing it on stage. It sounds like classic, whole, classic show. It sounds like a lot of fun if you are young and on mushrooms. Oh yeah. Which uh, I'm not. <laughs> I'm neither of them. I'm old and on mushrooms. <laughs> I'm not on mushrooms, by the way. I'm old and sitting on a mushroom, a la the caterpillar in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. <laughs> I'm old and eat portobello mushrooms. <laughs> because they're vegan. <laughs> uh, that was it. Kevin Coleman, thank you so much for writing that email. Thanks, Kevin Coleman, Jr., Jr., Sr., Jr., Jr. Mike Fell says, guys, loved the St. Tangent, a.k.a. Pusshead episode. Really enjoyed the discussion of early 90s music explosion with Black Album, Grunge, Alt Rock, etc. 
Growing up, I loved Metallica, obviously, but never took to older classic metal like Maiden, Priest, etc., or the others in the Big Four of Thrash. I stayed into heavy music throughout the 90s, White Zombie, Pantera, Slipknot, Seven Dust, New Metal, and eventually even veered into some bands like Opeth. Because of Metal Up Your Podcast, I've been digging into older metal and trying to re-educate myself. One of the things I've spent a lot of time thinking about is how early metal, including Sabbath and Metallica, almost isn't recognizable to what metal branched into with death metal, black metal, Scandinavian stuff that adds the cookie monster growl and loses some of the melodic tendencies. I'd love to hear your take slash opinion on Metallica's legacy and who they've influenced, but also how far metal has branched out. What else have you gotten into and why and why not? Thanks, Mike in Houston. That's I mean, a great question. I mean, I think that it goes without saying. Metallica, if, if you're in a band anywhere in the world and the word metal is in your genre, whether it's death metal, black metal, whatever, Metallica is, in, is influenced. Well, I've too. said it before and I stand by it. Um, I think they're the Beatles of metal in yeah. the sense that they're catalog is mostly classic and timeless and the reach of their influence is larger than any other band in metal right I, close second would be sabbath but i think metallica definitely outstrips sabbath in terms of power output right. influence um and i'm saying that as a massive sabbath fan sure you know it's to me it's metallica sabbath and iron maiden are kind of the three huge huge metal bands yeah what makes them so special is their them combining the new wave of British heavy metal with punk rock. Right. That's what, that's what thrash was. Now what makes them so special is that they didn't, they, they almost immediately left thrash. Yeah. You know, record two had fade to black on it. Right. You know, like even that breakdown in Phantom Lord, it's like they're, they all, you know, that yeah, the bridge to four horsemen. I mean, the bridge to four horsemen is yeah. a great example. They yeah. were just, and I, I would maybe attribute that early movement away into something bigger to cliff, but, I think it's also James's voice. Yeah. When you look at the big four, his voice is definitely the easier one to listen to. Oh, it definitely is. Well, and, and if, uh, a lot of, you know, death metal bands, you know, the, the Norwegian shit, like there's no, there's not melody there. There's not full songs there. If, if that's the, the correct way to, to explain it, you know, you have heavy shit, you have riffs, you have leads, you have all this cool drums shit, but, it's just or whatever. Was that pretty good? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I know what you mean. It was bound to happen. Like, so, you know, people consider like Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, although Iron Maiden's kind of new wave, but there's sort of that it's classic metal. Sure. Yeah. Cause you know, Sabbath is very groove and sludgy and slow. It's yeah. not a lot of fast stuff. No, not at all. But eighties sort of combining that with the speed of punk, the yeah. aggression of punk, and maybe even the political, nature of punk right yeah a lot of sabbath tunes are actually about love you know like oh yeah they're, they're about they, relationships they and, shit. Are, yeah. and of course you have the power metal shit dio and iron maiden singing about fucking warlocks and <laughs> mummies and <laughs> <Yeah>. shit <laughs> you have all the sort of fantasy stuff and right yeah but but you know a lot of bands no matter where they're from they're taking influence from maybe like where they grew up what's going on around them at the time so i think a lot of reason why like like black metal for instance is so fucking crazy and the you know the voices these guys use to sing i mean if you've ever been to norway in the winter time it's depressing it's mostly dark it's really cold right and everyone there's a vampire and there's a vampire that's true it's a fact <laughs> that look, helps look for it black up. metal yeah but i mean 
you know, that's their environment. And so I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sure these guys have taken influence from Metallica and maybe from bands that they're influenced by and made it their own and evolved it into this thing that is specific to where they're from, you know, um, going back to his question, I, I mean, I, I definitely think that if you're a metal band and you say we're not influenced by Metallica, I think you're probably full of shit. You have to be. I mean, you you may slag them, or I mean, you may say they've sold out, or they're lame, or they're not. But fast at one enough. point in but, your musical but, but they life, influenced you. Yes, they did. They definitely opened doors for you. Either that, or, or or if you never even got into Metallica, chances are the band that you're into that influenced your band was probably influenced by Metallica. So you're in the family. No but I think what. a lot of prevailing metal bands now, like Trivium or Slipknot, um, Volbeat, Avenged Sevenfold. They very clearly pay homage to Metallica. Oh, yeah, they're for not, sure. I guess it was uncool for a decade or so. Sure, whatever. Because Metallica were sellouts or whatever the fuck while they were just fucking dominating the planet. Yeah. But now it's kind of like, you know, Metallica sort of eased into this, like, they're they're not a legacy act. They're still making relevant records, doing relevant tours. But, you know, they're older cats. They've been around a long time. They've endured the times. And people are giving them fucking respect, man. Right, totally. I agree. So, all right. Thanks, yeah. Mike. Great um, question. Our next email is from Ben Jenkins, new patron of the show. Thank, Thank you, you very ben. much. Thank you so much. Uh, he says, hey, brothers. Hey, brothers. Sorry, that wasn't very good. Hey, brothers. There we go. There, there he is. is. There's the Hulkster. Um, short time binge listener here. First time writer. Started, started the podcast in December 2017. I've made my way from start to finish in about a month and a half. Wow. That's, that's commitment. Amazing. I was skeptical at first, but uh, but thought anyone who has two episodes about some kind of monster <laughs> has a certain level of dedication to this band, so I'll give these guys a shot. I listened to part one and loved it, uh, and then listened to uh, from your very first show. Bravo. Keep up the good work. Well, thanks, man. That's very kind. That's awesome. Um, uh, he ends his email by saying, thanks, guys, and keep up the good work. Uh, glad I could finally be caught up. Uh, Patreon stuff should be done by the time you, re- you read this. Looking forward to the covers EP. Thanks, beer on me when you come to Chicago, Illinois, New Jersey. Awesome. Ben. Thanks, Ben. And again, thank you for being a new patron of the show. We are very grateful for that. And we're hoping you enjoy the EP up in Chicago, New Jersey. Yeah, for sure. Uh, our last message is actually from a guy named Andrew Salter. And he I wanted to say hi to him and um, mention him on the show. He comments on almost all of our YouTube videos. That's how he listens to the show. All of our shit's on YouTube. I don't understand why anyone would listen to it through YouTube, but... More power it's to there, you. and he's actually a pretty funny dude, and and he's a huge Metallica fan. So I just wanted to read his one of his messages too. He says, "Hello, Clint. Insert Dave voice. Hello. I can't do it for me. Hello. Yeah, read it to the Tell the Reader's Digest, Clint. <laughs> read it to the Tell Digest. He says, <laughs> he says, thanks for responding. You've made my day. I'm in Melbourne, Australia. Australia. That's New Jersey. And your podcast has become mine and my Metallica buddy's favorite podcast. Oh, man, I'm so honored for that. Thank you. That's great. He says, keep up the amazing humanity-saving work you and Ethan are doing. You're changing reload-hating people's lives one podcast at a time. Love and respect, Andy. You know, I'm, I'm finally uh, glad someone pointed this out. We, you know, we, we are huma- doing humanity-saving oh, work. We're, we're doing really important philanthropic work here. Oh, yeah. Philan- phil- philanthropy, have you say it? <laughs> One, one day when someone creates a Wikipedia page about a podcast, there'll be a section called philanthropy. <laughs> yeah. Here's all the charitable. Here's how basically we solved um, yeah, apartheid. We ended uh, racism and bigotry, homophobia. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. We got Trump out of office, all we, that good we, stuff. We, we impeached Trump. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew, thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Andy. It's really very kind of you to write in. All right. Well, God damn it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was the emails.
Well, we know the email segment was kind of long. We had some extra ones to read. Uh, plus, we're in Tangent World lately, so we got a lot of stuff to cover now, man. This podcast is over a year old, and we got a lot of downloads, and we have a lot of fans now, so there's a lot of shit to cover. So There's a lot going on. Whatever. But it's speaking fun. Of, speaking of covers... <laughs> Ooh, did you see what I did right there? <laughs> let's get into some uh, Garage Inc. Disc 1. All right, let's do the uh, the facts. Let's just sort of contextualize. You know what? This is like what I tell my daughter at night. Let's calm down. Let's let's fucking chill out, and let's just get ready to... That's what my, my wife says, too, when I go to bed. <laughs> All right, let's fucking chill out and calm down. <laughs> You're just jumping around the room. Yeah. Just playing Misfits throwing, records, throwing like, shit Ethan, around. Ethan, Ethan, let's let's just calm down. Let's get ready to go to bed. I'll read you a story. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Read me the one about James when he <laughs> fell off the skateboard. And... Did he leave the door cracked open? Oh my god! <laughs> All right. Um, okay, here's the deal. Uh, they made this record really quick. There's not a whole lot to say about in terms of uh, the making of it. It was made right after the Poor Reloading Me tour. Yeah. Poor Reloading Me. Poor, poor Reloading Me. Oh, my God. The Make p- an edit to take p- that out. That was awful. That was Please. funny. I'm keeping it. Oh, Jesus. Poor Retouring Me. Poor Retouring Me. Uh, they made it in, what, 14 days? Yeah, it was about two weeks. Uh, they went in... Uh, all, you know, there's some, I think, misinterpreted facts online you find. It says that they... Alternative w- facts. Alternative facts. Fake news. It's Kelly and Conway some, doing the yeah, some people PR might for this fake record. news. Um, a lot of sources say that they went to the studio the day after this tour ended in San Diego. But they Diego. went to Kirk's house, right? They were in Kirk's basement for, according to Lars, uh, and we've got a quote we can listen to right after this, uh, they went into his basement for four days. We met over in Kirk's basement, and we sort of sat there with our instruments and went, okay, now what? And we started basically going through potential songs that we had thrown at each other during sort of, you know, late night drinking binges in hotel rooms and whatever and sitting on the plane and blah, blah, blah. And we had a sort of a, a rough outline of some songs that we thought could work for this project. And um, that was just about four weeks ago. We spent almost a week over at Kirk's house sort of getting it together, mm-hmm. figuring out what we're doing. And then we came here and having recorded and mixed uh, 11 songs in that period for us, it's just sort of unimaginable. <laughs> and that was where they sort of, uh, in one of the other things, I, clips I saw, which we might want to put that, we can use the same marker for this, but um, they'd been tossing around ideas for this record while they were on tour. Lars talks about late night drinking in hotel rooms. Yeah, they had ideas for like, oh, we definitely have to do this song, this but, Diamond Head song, whatever. But these five nights in Kirk's basement was when they were actually sitting there saying, like, let's start playing them and figuring them out. Yeah, that's where they basically rehearsed for those days in right. Kirk's basement and then went and then went in the studio in Sausalito, California at the Plant Studios is where they recorded it. Right. And they recorded it. So the, the, the Wikipedia facts, as it were. September 14th through October 1st, 1998. They released it on November 23rd. These are pretty quick turnarounds for a band that formerly had spent years making records. Well, that and... Uh, so it was released in 98. Like, what was They that recorded it... A month and a half later? Yeah. Well, yeah. They, rec- they, they, record- they stopped recording on October 1st. They released it, yeah, November 23rd. We were on tour. The tour ended on the f- September 14th. And we went straight into my basement September 15th. And uh, we played until, I think, the 18th. And then we went into the studio on the 19th. And we've been working every single day. Mm. And uh, it's been a little grueling. 
but you know, it's been it's been good. It's been fun, and it looks like we're gonna make our our, our schedule. We're gonna meet our deadline, which is always good. <laughs> that's that's like present day turnaround time. Yeah, totally. Like in '98, this is still uh, right around that Napster thing coming out. Um, this is back when people would like announce their record and then nine months later you got right. It. You know, nowadays, you know, stuff gets leaked so fast and gets downloaded so fast that people like Justin Timberlake just announced a new yeah, record. I announced a record like a this morning in the shower and it came out by the time I was picking up my kid from school. I announced a record before you came over and it came out yesterday. It won a weird. Grammy. It, it might win a 10 Grammy minutes ago. In, on Sunday. <laughs> um, and of course this was produced by our favorite producer well Bobby Rock. and if you if you like the load reload black album kind of t- I, I would say th- those records aren't as different maybe as we think especially when you hear this because um the th- the hallmark that i take away from it especially when you listen to garage inc with great headphones or disc one which is what we're, we're only doing disc one today yeah, by the yeah. way um those guitars being hard panned left right james and kirk on it. the left and the right it creates so much sonic dimension that as cl- as classic as the first five records are, I mean, the yeah. first five records are no fucking joke. But that dimension that they started exploring around load and reload with the guitars is just such a cool. It's just I miss it. They don't even really yeah. do it anymore. They they, right, they, they yeah. really only did it in that stretch. One of the earliest records I remember uh, that hard pan happening to guitar players was Appetite for Destruction. Yeah. You had with Izzy, Izzy, Izzy yeah. over here and Slash over here, and Pearl Jam have done that for. Uh, they did that pretty much from Vitology or or No Code on, right. and even in in one of the Pearl Jam liner notes, uh, oh, our single podcast theory friends are gonna fucking shit on me for this, but it's either <laughs> it's either binaural or it's one of the middle kind of records. Yeah, there like Stone Goster is actually credited as right guitar. Right, Mike McCready is left, left guitar. guitar. Eddie yeah. is center guitar. Yeah. Which that's how it is on stage. I mean, it's just so cool. Yeah. And, it, and if if the band's good and the songs are good and the recordings are good, that creates this huge. Because you know, there's something really sterile about James played all the rhythms on Disposable Heroes. Yeah, he did the left channel, the right channel. His gear, Kirk's here, and he did the thickener down the middle. That's the sound of those records, and I I back it. Sure, but of course, yeah. There's just this sort of loose, cool shit. I just attribute it to Bob Rock, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. And this is and another thing to point out too is this is the last like full length recording by our homie Jason. I know. Yeah, he did the "I Disappear." Yeah, that single, was after this. Yeah, and I think that was it. It's a shame. Well, he sounds great on the record. Oh my gosh, the, the low end on this record is awesome. There, there, there's certain moments, and we'll get to it in, in, uh, in the track by track, that I just love his bass sound. As of 2013, which is five years ago now, it sold six million records. That's it. <laughs> just a couple. Boo, failure. Six million records for a double album of covers. It sort of speaks to, that's that's sort of a comment on the industry at the time and the, the power of Metallica at that right. time. Well, also imagine too, if you're a Metallica fan in the 90s and you were maybe a little you know hurt by Load and Reload and then this came out. Yeah, you, maybe you don't like Turn the Page or whatever, but you know you have like It's Electric and the Merciful Fate medley. It's like oh yeah, it's I mean, like you've th- got discharge and right. It's like you, your you've band got is Motorhead and your band is back. Right. You know, so I'd imagine a lot of like fans that were maybe a little soured by that load reload era are definitely into this. There's actually a moment where Lars actually talks about how they just made three very serious records and wanted to wanted to make a something a little more spontaneous like Garage Days Re Revisited. Yep. The whole idea about the project, if you generalize, is that because of the nature of 
our own records, uh, the sort of how we write these songs and then spend sort of like a year recording them and going over every single detail with a, you know, just a fine comb and sitting there and analyzing everything. What we need all the time and have throughout a career is a project like this to balance mm. the sort of um, silly ways that we record our own material. We could never be this... Um, uh, I don't think we could ever be this instinctive and this spontaneous. Which, by the way, that's such a mouthful to say. I'm just going to always call that the 598 EP. The 598 EP? Can we disagree on that? Garage Days Re-Revisited? You just call it the 598 EP. The $5.98 <laughs> EP. Extended, but when, extended but play. But when you account for uh, inflation over the years, it's actually the 14... Okay. Terrible joke. <laughs> Terrible joke I couldn't even finish. Um... And it's true. Like so, to me, the most interesting disc is disc one. Disc two is basically stuff that you had access to before. Yeah, it was a yeah, way to disc one. They they went in the studio and recorded a whole cover record. But the deal was, I think, at the time because the five ninety eighty p was out of print, that was really the sort of a reissue of that in a sense. It was a yeah. way to get a copy of it. So, right. Yeah. And that's such a. I mean, if you guys haven't heard our five ninety eight ep episode, we we like many of you listening, we fucking love that. Oh, yeah, of EP. course. So yeah. for a lot of fans of that time, it was such a treat to just have all of that together, you know, but, oh, yeah. for, but for me, the Bob rock, the new recordings of the first disc are where it's fucking at. I know it's pretty badass. Uh, okay. What else do we have here? Cover, cover photo, photo co- Ross Halfin. Ross Halfin. Yeah. Yeah. Long time Metallica photographer, live shows, whatever. I mean, that dude's shot every rock he, band in the world. He, he's come out when I was working name. for Kings. Yeah, I right. met him at a festival in Europe. And of course, like my first memory of that dude was Metallica behind the music and him talking about them. Mm-hmm. So when he showed up at a Kings of Leon headlining Are set at a guy festival. The oh, I didn't say that, but I looked over and I was like, oh, that's Ross Halvin. He shot like some of the most iconic Metallica images ever. He shot the sheriff. He shot, the, but not the deputy. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Bringing it back to reggae. <laughs> Uh, there's a really cool documentary about the making of Garage Inc. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have seen it, but yeah. there's a really cool, I think it's towards the end where they're, there's actually footage, documentary footage of the photo shoot. Yeah, of them as mechanics Mechanics and stuff. with all the grease on them. Yeah. It's there's pretty a, interesting. There's a couple other, other photo shoots that they, they show clips of in that documentary, like the one of them, the, the Metallicats. Oh, yeah. Where they're in the lounge jackets. Oh, kind yeah. Of thing. Love it. But so there's one, that, that's for the Die, Die, My Darling single. Right. And there's one before that where Kirk is in, it's like a leopard button-up shirt or something. <laughs> it's something real not cool. He's always in a leopard button-up <laughs> shirt. True, face yeah. it. Let's face it. At some point in the day, Kirk's always putting that shirt. That's his oh, lucky yeah. shirt. He probably sleeps in one. It's his lucky leopard button-up leopard shirt. pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> Came with a 32-page booklet. The booklet's cool. Uh, to me, of the art layout of the whole record was a lot of fun. I love the back of the the back of the cover. The homage to the 59080 yeah, with a, their kind of 98 looking faces. Yeah, on it. like taped over their old faces. Yeah, um, yeah. I thought that was very cool. Yeah, cool idea. All right, let's just get in the track by track. Track by track. Free speech for the dumb. What do you think about it? Um, I'm gonna go say go ahead and say that this is my least favorite song on the record. No way. It is. I, I'm shocked. Now, now, I'm literally shocked. Now, I, I will say... Um, oh, wait. Sorry. 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 Did you misspeak? I did misspeak. You meant turn the page. <laughs> turn the page on my least favorite song. Uh, no. Um, not my least favorite song, but I would say it's, sec- it's, it's next in line. Here's what I'll say about... Uh, well, first of all, originally by Discharge from yeah. their 1982 record, Hear Nothing, See Nothing, Say Nothing. Um... 
it's brutal. It's relentless. I was I, I was about to back up my my what maybe sounded insulting comment by saying uh, this is a kick-ass opener to the record. I think musically, it, it's just the song in general. I'm kind of like, it's okay. It's just kind of like, like there's like two lines in the whole thing, and it, it's a fucking yeah. Bar, it's free a bar, speech for the dumb, free fucking speech. It's Those a, are yeah. the lines. It's a it's a barn burner for sure. It's a great opener. Um, it's just, I just don't I just don't love it. I. I had a hard time connecting with it. I, I've always thought my my whole life as a Metallica fan since the record's been out that It's Electric, which is track two, would have been the better opener. Right, yeah. But the I've been really pounding it this week, like listening to it, and it's kind of oddly growing on me. Yeah. Um, just, it, it's almost like a statement. It's a statement song. Right, it Where is, they're yeah. just like, before we get to the turn the pages and the Tuesday's Gones, let me just fucking blow your fucking head off. Yeah, and it's and, and you know what I really like about it, the original, which I'm not pretending to be a Discharge fan, but I went and listened to the original. It's it's pretty similar. It's pretty funny to see on YouTube people slagging it for being too slow. I'm like, this song does not sound too slow to me. But um, wait, the Metallica version or the Discharge version? Well, all the Discharge fucking trolls are like, nah, they they don't know punk. Lars sucks. It's slow. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. Just, you know, it's YouTube. It's a cover, dude. It's a hey, you want to hear slow? Listen to REP. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> but um. It's got this great kind of fucking attitude to it, and the the there's kind of this long intro solo, right? Right, yeah. And the discharge version is actually kind of a bit more shreddy. Yeah, Kirk's is kind of this really interesting for him noise rock. Yeah, it's kind of this. It's not. I agree with that. It's not real technical. It's I don't know. It's kind of an interesting flavor for Kirk. Yeah. Now, I don't hate this song. I, I know. It's I just know. kind of one of those things. Like, I think sonically it sounds great. I think it's great energy right out of the gate. For this disc, but and a very aggressive, very um, mixed, very forward James vocal, very Free much so. Speech for the dumb. I mean, I'll say, I mean, on this track and every track on this thing, like th- this is a vocal highlight for James on this on this record. It's, dude. Just it's sort of all in. It's that era though, like like not not too far from uh, around S and M, where he's just killing it. He, oh, this it, whole record, dude, he kills it. His his vocals in that era were so good because it was like. Kind of right in between like classic Hetfield and then like singing a little cleaner Hetfield. Um, he was just schooled at this point, man. He was just uh, well trained at this I, point. I think 95 to 2000 is a peak vocally, you yeah. know, for him, for me. Um, I, I still, even though the song grew on me, I still think that it either should have been cut because they end the record with a discharge song too. Right. Which is way better. Similar flavor. I think they, I, I think they maybe should have put it elsewhere in the track list yeah it's a bit of it's a bit of a turnoff as an opener but knowing the boys i think that's probably why they did it you see what i'm saying sure get it over with because everything else is real it's brutal and cool and like executed well but also kind of clean you know this song is raw this song is fucking raw and again just right out of the gate you hear james on the left kirk on the right yeah and when the solo comes in you quit hearing kirk's rhythm like it's just those two guitar parts. I know, I love it. That, that's that's just it so just cool. It just sounds so real to me. It sounds, you know, it's close to what it would sound like live. You know, you and I before we started this episode, we we're watching some of that. Uh, was it uh, Rosalind? We were watching the Rosalind Ballroom show where they did yeah. the whole MTV uh, show. It's of the all day covers. after the record came out. They did, yeah, they did an all cover show. It was great, and and so that this record sounds like that kind of stuff where it's just live. It's just two guitars. Well, and they recorded it in fucking twelve days. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's it's. it's that documentary is really interesting because there's just clips of them kind of hearing mixes and stuff, and it's like 
they're not fixing a lot of stuff. Yeah. But is it? But you're you're more the punk guy, right? Like sure. you, you have more um, history with punk music and the attitude of punk music than me. It seems like um, the repetition of the lyric, they're just beating you with it. Oh, I mean, listen, listen to uh, Ramon. It's like I that's mean, part of it, yeah, right? Of like course that's, it is. It's almost to me like they're being really true to the spirit of it. Of course they are. Yeah, I mean, when we get to "Die, Die, My Darling," I mean that's similar too. I mean that's a repetitive chorus, and I actually really like the con- the philosophical concept of it. Like, we care about free speech, and that means the free speech even extended to people who were too dumb. You know what I'm saying? It's almost yeah. like um, people who are like bigoted or homophobic or people who can say awful things. Yeah, the idea of free speech really extends like where free speech really matters is when you're letting people who can say those awful things have free speech right exactly so it's free speech even for the dumb yeah i, I even though it's only one line it's it's, power, no, it's it's powerful it's cool yeah i, I agree all right let's go on to it's uh, electric b- before we uh, cru- oh. cruise on to that uh, i made some notes here because i thought it was interesting this song has never never been before, performed live by metallica yeah well i understand why me too. although i would like to see it it's two like two and a half minutes long i know it's really short uh it's electric I mean, my first note is Ripper. It's, it's electric. Fucking, it's fucking awesome. It's great. Uh, I, I, like you said earlier, I would have loved to have heard this first on the record. It'd been a great opener, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, totally would have. It definitely would have. Originally by Diamond Head, who also did famously "Am I Evil" and Blitzkrieg. Yeah, uh, it's from their 1980 album "Lightning to the Nations." A badass intro. The drums and guitars sound great. Again, mm-hmm. kudos to our homie Bob Rock. I mean, God, again, I mean, we're going to highlight Hetfield's vocal on every song, but he, he murders a song. I love, especially really pokes out those, the, the long notes in the chorus. Yeah. Electric. Oh, yeah. Like, he holds them out long, and they actually double just the chorus. You can hear a double come yeah. in. Um, in recording, which I don't know about you, but all of my vocals on our EP were doubled. Mine were not. I, I I don't ever double my vocal. Only, really? Maybe it's, maybe it's a personal preference thing. I just don't like the sound of my voice doubled. Hmm. I've tr- I've tried it numerous times and I'm I usually cringe. I'm like, oh, really? it just sounds weird. And I, I, I don't know. May, now maybe if uh, maybe if I you know, well I'll, I'll say this. When I did my last EP with Paul, 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 um, uh, we didn't double my vocal. Hmm. Did he want to? But you didn't I want to. Don't remember. <laughs> maybe <laughs> I was super high. No, I, no. I mean, I I don't. You know, if Paul would have asked me to double on on that, I would have done it. Because I trust him yeah. as a producer, and uh, maybe with you know the ketchup and mustard he's got in that studio, I right. might be like, "Oh, that sounds cool." Right. I would never in that situation sit, tell someone like Paul, "Like, no, I'm not going to do that." I would give it a try. Well, I've give, and now I've given it a try at my home studio, and I'm not happy with it. You so. don't. You don't. Yeah. You don't keep the double as present and loud as the main sure, the star yeah. vocal. You tuck it and pan it, but it just adds some beef. Like I, I can hear that chorus sort of pop up when he, that right, double yeah. comes in oh yeah um i wish they would play this live more it's only been played one time uh, that's fucking insane and, and it was at the 30th anniversary shows and the dudes from diamond head were, were playing and singing it is odd that they don't do it live because uh, there are some songs on here that i like astronomy for example which we'll get to which, which is by the way is one of my favorites right uh i can understand why they or lover man like i get it but it's electric it seems like a fucking no-brainer Especially I mean, on these European tour set lists where they've they've got a cover slot, and I get it. Turn the page, die, my darling, last caress, yeah. whiskey and jar, blitzkrieg, bread fan. I, I get that there are a lot of people, and it's you know ahead of the line. Sure, sure. But it's electric would fucking murder. Oh yeah, and it's what Lars decided to call his 
Beats show and exactly it's a, it's a big influence on them it's a big song for them oh yeah absolutely man I, I, I mean, I, I, I can't not make this note. I just love the pan guitar so much. Yeah. I wrote, there's so much character in the pick scratches between chords. Yep. Because they're both doing these... Yeah. There's a push and pull between Kirk and James with the pick scratches, with their inflections, with their... Yeah. You know, they're... And, if, and if, you're, if you're listening to this podcast and, and want to know maybe kind of what we're talking about with this kind of stuff... Listen to this record with a, with a set of headphones on. For not, sure, not, headphones. Not, not earbuds, not your Apple earbuds. Not like, your shitty Apple earbuds. Yeah, get a set of headphones and put these on, and you're really going to hear the separation in these guitars. It's really and, cool. And I would say if you want to compare it to you know other songs that we love, compare it with something like Dire's Eve or Damage Inc. And uh, as tight and immaculately produced as those are, it's just such a different vibe. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, it's almost recorded like a punk rock record. I mean, it was done in two weeks. Two guitars panned. Yep. I mean, it's very punk rock of them to record the, it this the way. The drums and vocals are real clean and punchy. You know, yeah, like for sure. It definitely doesn't sound like a Misfits record. It definitely. Thank does goodness. Not. Thank God. Uh, a great solo by Kirk. Yeah. Um, I love that the third verse breaks down to just drums and bass. You get to really hear Jason pop out a little bit. Yep. Uh, I did. I did have some notes about the original. Um, because of course these YouTube comments, the original is very thin sounding. It's charming, but it it's sure it, it's pretty rough sounding. The Sean Harris vocals are fucking great. It's 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 almost a cooler vibe. Sean's vocals, right? Yeah. But someone on YouTube commented, Metallica's version sounds better, and the response was literally, "I'll murder you in cold blood." <laughs> From a Diamond Head fan. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's how chill things are over on uh, YouTube. Yeah, YouTube is so calm. You ready to talk about Savacadabra? Oh, yeah. I love this song. Um, Savacadabra performed six times live. Again, a travesty. More than I expected when I looked that up. I thought it was going to be less. I know they did actually do it with Geezer Butler at the, on the yeah, 30th anniversary show. They did it at Rosenbaum show. Yep. Um, dude, the, the one thing I want to get right to in this song, the bridge of this which is actually from, it's actually th- them incorporating it's a, a national acrobat yeah it's not a bridge yeah it's a medley well, it, it, well, it sounds like they go into a bridge but it but it's the fade to black exactly yeah when I was listening to that I was like and especially when the the, the, the guitar harmony well, the, comes the, in the harmony yeah da, 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 da. we should actually play we should actually AB it here so check this out we're gonna we're gonna play you a national acrobat and uh, fade to black I know that they wear their influences on their sleeves. That's what this whole record is. Of course, yeah. It is hard to imagine that that song was not at least subconsciously on their radar when they were writing Fade to Black. Oh, I mean, there's no denying it to me, man. When you listen to that that section of this, it's it's, it's Fade to Black. Uh, for those of you who couldn't tell by the title, Sabracadabra, uh, Black Sabbath song. It was on their 1973 album, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, which is my favorite Sabbath record. It is, yeah. Uh, the live version was on the Die My Darling single. The riff's great. The drums and bass sound great. It's cool hearing James kind of try and also succeed at pulling off the kind of high Aussie tenor. Right, yeah. He changes, the, especially on National Acrobat. Um, 
He changes the melody a little bit to sort of make sense for him. Yeah, it suits his Which his I also did on R.E.P. Yeah. But it's cool, man. It's cool hearing them play Sabbath tunes. I know they're huge Sabbath fans, but we don't hear it a lot. It's really these two tunes. Yeah. They've done a few more Aussie tunes, or Sabbath tunes, I mean, but it's nice to have a good, great recording document of them doing Sabbath. Oh, yeah. I love, uh, and this is obviously credited to Sabbath, but just the intro... uh, coming from when you when you first hear that you don't expect you think that that's just going to be the main riff you don't expect that like the bass is going the notes are going to go lower and lower right I, I love that that and both Hetfield and Hammond are playing the same exact thing and and the only you don't there's no rhythm guitar doing the lower part it's Jason just, just Jason down. yeah it's awesome well and I love that uh, that and the riff comes in kind of like double time but I love that that chorus is that someone to love me it goes to this halftime yeah. maybe I want to feel alright this is oh just, I love it it's so good yeah, again his vocal on this one especially on that feel alright love yeah, that shit it's awesome clearly I, I can do it pretty well so <laughs> Aussie was that Aussie oh. in here Sean and they do kind of a cool seamless re-entry back from National Acrobat back into Sabracadabra yeah um this, this one's a barn burner. Ethan and I are going to do our top fives uh, at the end of this episode. And uh, I'm not going to lie, this one made mine. This was in my top ten of their covers of all time. It was. Yeah, you're correct. Uh, yeah, this is in my top five, too. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, turn the page. I mean, dude, my first note is it's now a Metallica classic. It totally is. and um, Played 91 times. Which, that makes sense. That's more than some of their deep cuts, you yeah. know? But, you know, it was a big single, though, at the time, too. It was, I think it was the first single off this. Yeah. Um, the singles were Turn the Page, Whiskey in the Jar, and Die My Darling. Yeah. Which, Whiskey in the Jar won a Grammy. That's right. Um, you know, we have a clip of James. Let's go ahead and play the clip of James, but... Actually, I can't stand Bob Seger. And uh, uh, I've never met him, so nothing really against him. But every time, you know, growing up, the radio just... Take them old records off the shelf. That's all I ever heard on the radio. It was like, you know, play some you know, Aerosmith or something, you know. I, I would just turn the radio off. It would just drive me up the wall. Um, but m- it was more the song. This song, and lyrically especially, it belonged to Metallica. Just, you know, on the road again. It's just, we're the road dogs, and that it's one song that we can really relate to. Uh, came out really well. He's talking about even though he wasn't, a, I think he actually even says he can't stand Bob Seger, but he <laughs> talks about how that song was them, you know, on the road again. And All the dudes talk about it in, in that documentary, and like every single one of them is like, they heard the song, they're like, oh my gosh, this is that's us. This yeah. is James. James I, has to sing this. I've actually, I'm, I, I actually really like the Bob Seger version, the live version. I think the live version was the hit for him. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, I remember I've told people that don't work in the music industry. I'm like, that song's really true. Like that song is kind of what it's like. Yeah, you know, especially in Omaha. <laughs> Sorry, east, east of Omaha, especially in uh, Winnipeg, which is <laughs> which is northeast of New Jersey. Omaha, it's in New Jersey. Well, it's all in New Jersey, yeah. of course. Um, yeah, mean, the it, Kirk, Kirk slide work on this. It's, he's approximating that saxophone. Oh, that's so. It's, it's so, so good. good. Yeah, it really is. There's a lot of great clips in that making of of them listening back to Kirk slide stuff, and you see James kind of get stoked. Yeah, it's really cool. Well, and I even like, dude, I even like James's tone. It's this um, on one of the rig rundowns for James's gear. His tech talks about when they do turn the page, they dial in this sort of like Fender twin right, sound, yeah. which is you know they're mostly boogies and. 
and Marshalls. Yeah. But they're like, you know, we dial on this and it's got that, it's got like a little bit of vibrato on it. Yeah. And it's from the amp, you know, it's right, like, yeah. it's not like tap tempoed. It's this sort of loose vibrato. Yeah. It's very emotive, very dynamic. When he leans in, it breaks up. When he plays light, it's clean. Yeah. And then, of course, yeah, that ambient slide shift from Kirk is just... Oh, it's so good. I, I would so say this is, this is one of uh, the highlights for me for Jason's bass tone. Because you really get to hear it in certain parts. Like that last well, verse. Well, the last verse is just... It's just hi-hat and, and Jason. I know. And you can hear, like, you can hear the pick hit the string. But, like, I had it cranked today in my studio. And, like, the low end that they were getting on this recording is so good. For me, in 1973, this record came out. I was 10 years old. My brother Greg had it in the first week it was out you know so I, I've known that song for 25 years wow. and have, when I first heard it back again uh, four weeks ago after not hearing it for years and mm -hmm. years or just it blowing by on the radio or whatever and I should listen to the song and singing along and not forgetting one word and knowing all the nuances and all that kind of thing and you know this yeah, kind yeah. of vibe when you get just moved by a song and that is one of those songs that always did it for me for some reason. I never knew that this would come to this and, you know, in my sure. career or whatever, that we would actually put our stamp on it. But um, for that reason, it's close to here for me. Bob Rock, man, he just, he can dial it in. Yeah, he, he was actually went on to become their bass player for a little bit. Yep, he did. This is very true. He co-wrote co every song on St. Anger. I mean, you're the producer. You're 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 giving your input on songwriting the whole time. So well, sure. he was also playing bass on all of it and right, just reconstructing all the mess of it into actual songs. Yeah. Oh, from he's the, a, from the Presidio on. Can you imagine if they self-produced Saint Anger? <sighs> it it'd be rougher than it is. Don't make me. Okay. Don't make me do it. That could be a good episode. What if they did? Bob Rock didn't produce Saint Anger. <laughs> I think Turn the Page is almost a perfect recording. Uh, it's it's pretty amazing. Um, Headfield's vocal, I mean, going from low to high towards Out the end. there in the spotlight. Dude. It's so good. That verse is so good. Oh, no. And then the octave up on the last chorus, like, it's Here great, man. Yep. Oh, it's so good. There's also a great, uh, what, what I call in these moments, like, an anti-solo, when he says, uh, what she said. And then, like, instead of a solo, they just hammer the rhythm. Yeah. Like, there should be a solo there, but they're just like... Let it just be this. Oh, thick. it's just heavy and cool, and and they do a good job on all these songs. Of of, I mean, they make all these songs Metallica songs. You know what I mean? Like, well, James actually talks about that. There was a, you know, right. we put all these songs on the table and we just digested them and you know, spit them out Metallica style. You know, there's there's only so much you can kind of mess with the sounds. You know, uh, when you go in to hear back a song or to to listen to a mix. Your ear goes right to, you know, I dial in that guitar sound that I love, and that will, re you know, it's not going to change that drastically in Lars, you know, his drum sound and things, so it ends up sounding like Metallica. You know, it's him basically saying, like, there's only so much you can do. At the end of the day, when we hold guitars and sit behind a drum kit or get in front of a microphone, we sound like Metallica. Right, yeah. And I think the idea is to lean into that. Yeah, sure. You want to make it your own. I think you have to, you know? Well, I mean, you know, again, speaking of co our cover EP, you know... I'm, you know, I did my songs the way I, it just felt right to do them. You know, like we talked about, you know, I'm I'm doing another cover where it's it's like going to be a reggae song yeah. because it felt right to do it. Right. You know, and um, but that's all reflective of who I am and my taste. You know. Well, it would just be. Well, I, I agree. Like my my 
vocals or I have like a tenor voice. I don't have a very big range, but my voice tends to be pretty and sure. high and be like a more of a delicate thing. It's gorgeous. It would be re- <laughs> gorgeous. You are beautiful no matter what they say. <laughs> You're beautiful. <laughs> it's true. Was that like a James it's Blunt? A Is that his name? Day. Is it James Blunt? Yeah, that was James okay. Blunt. Okay, cool. My point is, it would be ridiculous for me to try to do, you know, whiplash. Right. Like, full on. I would have to, I have to reconstruct it. And I think that's what they, especially when we get to the, some of the stranger shit, like Loverman or Astronomy. Yeah. But Turn the Page is almost like, it's almost, to me, an am I evil level of. Yeah, for sure. They just sort of knocked it out. Oh, it's great. All right. Dude, my jam. Die, die, my darling. Oh, so good. I mean, again, I'm a big Misfits fan. I think they just knocked this one out of the park, dude. I mean, it's. I mean, yeah, they do it exactly like the Misfits did. But you know what's not exactly like the Misfits? The 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 quality mm, of the recording. Yeah. I mean, you, I hate I hate to harp on that with well, them. Well, no, but I mean that's that, that's unfortunately, you know, their recordings sound like shit. Yeah, most of them sound pretty bad. But there there there's an endearment about those old recordings because it's, it's sort very, of part of the vibe. It's definitely part of. the But vibe. there's no doubt that it feels good to hear that song with great vocals, oh great my gosh, punchy drums, huge. great guitars. The gang vocals on this song are just amazing. There's dude. a great clip in that documentary of the th- of um, Kirk, Jason, and uh, Lars doing them together. Awesome, yeah, it's so good. It's a really catchy song. Misfits were great at that, dude. There's so many Misfits songs that are, I mean, super fucking. Dude, catchy. where Eagles Dare? I mean, there's so many good ones, dude. That, uh, what? <laughs> That's just a funny title. It's, there's an Iron Maiden song called this, "Where Eagles Dare." Where Eagles Dare. Where Eagles Dare. What's it about them fl- flying around caves? We walk and shit. the streets at night. We go where eagles dare. <laughs> and the chorus of that song is, "I ain't no goddamn son of a bitch. You better think about it, baby." I ain't no goddamn son of a bitch. Listen, I'm not a goddamn son of a bitch. It's catchy. I, I will go where eagles dare. Oh, I will. And I'll walk. Unlike the str- a son I will of walk a bitch. the streets at night. Good God. <laughs> I do love that lyric. I'll be seeing you again. I'll be seeing you again in hell. In hell. <laughs> in hell. Oh, some of Danzig's it's lyrics so are funny. pretty ridiculous. Oh, it's so funny, dude. Oh yeah. I mean, he wrote, "I ain't no goddamn son of a bitch." <laughs> well, he goes Regal's there. Uh, a lot of swagger, a lot of attitude. I do so like at the attitude. end. James goes, "Just die, huh? Just die, huh?" <laughs> Someone wrote on YouTube about the original. They wrote. Misfits were so underground, they even recorded songs underground. <laughs> That's a great comment. And I, I, I agree with it, and I back it. Don't fry tomato, baby. Don't, don't fry tomato, baby. Don't fry tomato, baby. Yeah, that kind of sounds like what he's saying. Don't fry tomato, baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't do I, it. I think I think this might be the the uh, easily the top three vocal highlights for me for Hetfield. His vocal performance in the song is great. On this record or ever? On this record. Okay. On this record. Top three for sure on this record vocal highlight for Hetfield. Yeah. Don't I think forget he Dirty Window, dude. Annihilates Don't it. Don't forget yeah. Purify. Dirty it's win- Purify. Dirty it's Purify My World and Die Die My Darling. My world now. It's my world. You can't have it. Tell it to the readers. Digest. <laughs> I'm going to do a remix of that. Please do. <laughs> All right, lover man. Oh, uh, by the way, Dad, Dad, my darling. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, Dad, Dad, my darling was per- has been performed 116 times. That's awesome. It's great. Well, people love it. They, they've been playing it on the tour last year. Oh yeah. Um, that's, lover- the, that's the second time I've 
overshot going to the next song. That's okay. We have to edit. We're going to edit these out. No, hey, dude, we've talked about it on the show, man. We we don't edit much out. We want people to hear the real thing. Uh, uh all right. Uh, 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 uh Loverman. Uh, so Loverman. I remember early on buying this record and being a little hesitant about this. I also was. I've never really been a Nick Cave fan. Same. I, I've always respected him. Sure. From a kind of from afar. Of course. Yeah. Um, the chorus on this sh- fucking song is huge, heavy, it's, sludgy, and it's, cre- it's creepy it's in a creepy, good in a good yeah. way. And I think this is another classic example of a band covering a song, and it's better than the original. Now maybe that's just because I'm not a Nick Cave fan, but I listened to the original and I was kind of like, eh. I man, I like their interpretation of it better. I mean, it's 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 pretty much the same layout. I very much disagree. Really, I think Lover Man. You know, before I came here tonight, I I put it on Instagram. I said, "Hey, we're gonna do Garage Inc. Yeah. Disc One. What are your favorite tunes?" And I was really surprised how many people said Lover Man. Yeah, I really there was, was a bunch. Yeah. Um, so so you prefer the Nick Cave version over Metallica's? I had not heard Nick Cave's version until this week. Yeah. Um, I don't think Loverman is like Lulu level. Like I like it, and I, I love the how much longer. Yeah. I, I, anytime James wants to act creepy vocally, I'm in. Oh, me I too. Lo- yeah, I I'm love down. it. So down. I love it. Um, it's it's definitely not a fail for me, but it is does. I mean, it's really fucking long, dude. It's seven minutes. It is long. The acronym sections, L is, you know, yeah. R is for rape me. It's like those don't work for me so much. Sure, sure. The the cor- the belty chorus, love a man. Oh my god, the chorus love is it. it's so good. But the song is kind of a head scratcher. I did go and listen to Nick Cave's version, and it made a lot more sense to me. It's not it's not as heavy and it's not as dramatic. Yeah. And I also watched the music video. Have you seen the music video? Yeah, I watched it, yeah. It's really cool. And what I read that they did is they actually had a hypnotist come and hypnotize the whole band. So wow. what, So what the video is, is it's sort of a montage of both sort of a faux live performance where Nick's like taking his shirt off and shit. Right, yeah. But there's all this like real clinical looking footage of the whole band being hypnotized and doing all this weird shit under hypnosis. Crazy. But they were really hypnotized to make the video. I didn't realize that. Wow. Amazing. But the... It, Nick's version is just comes off more like beat poetry. It's more the sort of Greenwich Village, New York thing. Yeah, yeah. Hearing Metallica approximate it through metal, I don't know. Let me look at some of my notes here. I said it's a convincing, headful performance. Chorus smacks you in the face. That's true. Some good oohs and yes in this one, and even a good ha ha. Oh yeah, we got a good good, good Hetfield laugh. R is for rape, man. M is for murder, man. That's pretty rough for me. A little bit, yeah. Um, but you know, I like how odd it is, and I, and you know, James is the one who brought this song in, I believe. Yeah. And so, sort of conceptually and artistically, I think it's a great moment. Yes. But when you compare it to "Die, Die, My Darling" or "It's Electric" or "Turn the Page" or "Sabracadabra," it's like it's a little, it's a little off for me. It's a little off, but I. I've just recently fallen in love with the song. Like, yeah. it is long. There are some iffy... It's actually three minutes longer than the original. How yeah. do you go and do that with a cover? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? And it's not like they slowed it down like crazy to make it longer. No. It's about the same tempo. Yeah, I think they just jam out on a little more. Yeah. 
It's um, kind of a ride. You know what I do like about it? It's like a ride. It is, yeah. And you got to be like in the mood to be on it. Yeah. And, and you and then it's it is it is a cool song. It's very. I, mean, I listen. I listened to this song just today, probably six or seven times. Really? Yeah. So you kind of got bit by I the lover man. This record of, oh yeah, I was bit by the lover man. He done got bit by the lover man. I done man got bug. bit by the lover man. B is for bit. <laughs> T is for Tobin. <laughs> B is for Becky. H is for hello, lover man. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, an odd track, definitely, but it's odd. I think it's fucking cool. It's probably the oddest song, not the worst song or nothing like that. But it's—I I would say the oddest. It's, it's, it's the, the strangest the song most, on the record. It's the most out of left field for sure. Um, all right, moving on to a. F- Fucking barn burner and a half, the Merciful Fate medley, which consists of songs by, uh, by Merciful Fate called Satan's Fall, Curse of the Pharaohs, A Corpse Without Soul, Into the Coven, and Evil. I mean, as a, um, I'm not a, a religious person that goes both ways. I don't believe in Satan or anything either, but I love songs about Satan. <laughs> my do. mouse pad in my studio is a fucking pentagram. Yes, my studio is covered in skulls. These lyrics are so amazing. I know. They're great. Have you ever written any kind of like death metal, black metal lyrics? Not I've never really, done it. No. I, I want to try it. Or like, you know what I want to do? I want to write like a, um, like a Satan in space thing. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Jason X. <laughs> like like a, like a metal record, but about Satan, like Satanism, but in space. In space. Doesn't that sound amazing? Don't you immediately want to check it out? I would listen to it. Uh, my first note on this song uh, um, is "You can't fuck with this track." Well, it's re- it's it's yeah, it's pretty much flawless. And it's actually, great. there's a moment in the documentary where they're listening to this this medley, and James. This is actually fascinating to me psychologically for the band. James is sort of they're listening, and James is looking down, contemplative, and this really, I guess, this moment happens that they were really proud of that they landed. And Kirk and Bob both look at James smiling like, oh, yeah. like we, we're, and James doesn't look up. And then finally James looks up and smiles. And it's like his approval of that moment right. eases the whole room. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. It's really interesting that or they, they caught have, that on maybe camera. Maybe they initially thought like, God, we love that, but we feel like Hetfield's not down. Is he right. going to like it? And then he smiled. Right. And it was cool. Um the thing I love about the intro all- is super in your fucking face. The intro oh, yeah. Satan's fall. Very rocking James vocal, bands tie, and that that one's quick. That's just two verses and a chorus, and then they're out of Satan's fall. Yeah, they go through that really quick. Um, the thing I love about uh, really the next three are you can so hear kill them all. Yeah, like that early, those early riffs they were riding For on sure. "Kill 'Em All," and even a little bit on "Ride the Lightning." Like, like, oh, dude, these guys were definitely listening to "Merciful Fate." Yeah, for sure. That kind of stuff, like that open A thing. That is fun to hear. That yeah, the, like hit the lights. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah, for sure. And seeking the stories, kind of some of that's in there. Yeah, of course. Um, I, I actually have a note. This is a love all the Satan talk. Ha ha. I'm trapped in his spell. I'm going to hell. <laughs> that ridiculous. I'm trapped in space. I see Satan's face. See, I'm already writing the sat- satanic space odyssey right now. Oh, you can do it, man. I believe in you. They do four verses of the Curse of the Pharaohs, and they go into Coven. Into the Coven, into the Coven, which I love. And the opening line is, <laughs> I seriously love this shit. <laughs> How like a wolf and a witch will open the door. 
<laughs> that sounds like that sounds like a, a like a clue you you got on playing Zelda. Like if there are like witches and fucking wolves and the devil and pentagrams and blood, you're in. I just whatever whether it's a movie or a song or or Art Deco for my modern home post post modern satanic home. Sure. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear Clint's record about a devil in space. Yeah, Satan in space. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why does he have to be just on Earth? He can be in space. He's, he's, he's fucking Satan. He's not on Earth. He's he's in hell, remember? <laughs> Thank you for the theology lesson. Well, you Let's, said he didn't have to be on Earth. He's not. Right. He's in another dimension. Why not space? Yeah, put him in space, man. Maybe he's fucking hanging out in, on the moon. Lunar Satan. <laughs> Lunar Oh, my God. You're welcome. Lunar Satan is You're an welcome. amazing band name. Thank you. Good night, Dark Continent. We are Lunar Satan. <laughs> A witch will open the door. <laughs> <laughs> Only played eight times. It doesn't surprise me. It's eleven minutes long. It's a, it's, it's yeah, a lot. I'm surprised to, they played it eight times. I'm surprised they played it Satan times <laughs> in space. <laughs> Satan in space. Well, nice story, Satan. Tell it to Lunar Satan. <laughs> Was it Lunar Satan? Is that the band? Lunar, I've already forgotten. I said it. Lunar Satan. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, Lunar Tannic. No, it doesn't work. Okay. Never mind. Lutanic would be um, the better. Yeah, this thing, I mean, this medley is incredible. I mean, this is this, another. This is another one that many people on Instagram said was their favorite, which I get. I mean, it's it's, it's kind of cheating because it's like four or five songs, but sure. But I mean, dude, it's there's so many good parts in this. I mean, and, and it just goes to show that, like, you know, it's no surprise that Merciful Fate was such a huge influence on Metallica. I mean, dude, some of these riffs in this and parts are so yeah, good. they're badass, and they're and it's some badass. of them are so simple too. Um, yeah, I, I just I can't get enough of this song. Any, like, like the one I, that goes down, do da do do down do exactly. da do yeah, the one that goes, yeah. that one. Yeah, it's sure. great, Tons. great, Merc- merciful fate. Be on it, be on it, be on it, be on it, be on Ooh yeah. Um, when I was uh, listening to this 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 disc a ton in my car running errands this week and what whatnot, every time this one came on, like the volume went up. I was like, oh yeah, here we go. Fuck yeah, this yeah, one, yeah it, it just it's great. I have nothing bad to say about this track. Nor do I. Well, that's good. I'm glad we can agree on one thing. Um, astronomy. Easily one of my favorites. Yeah, I know. It's it, such, it, was, it was yeah, it was in your top ten covers. It's such a strange song. It and is. Again, I went and listened to the original on YouTube, and you know these. <laughs> who would have thought, man? These Blue Oyster Cult fans are hardcore, man. They they do not like the Metallica version. Well. And guess what? The Blue Oyster Court version is real lame to me. I, I apologize <laughs> to you out there who like that, but like even the haze, like one of my favorite parts along is the hey, that yeah. kind of low guttural thing. Sure. The haze and the Blue Oyster Court version are like hey, <laughs> hey, 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 God. It's it's vegan Ethan doing the backup vocals. Four winds on the four winds roll. Astronomy, a star. I'm like what? <laughs> When's math club, dude? <laughs> When's fucking chess hour? Oh, jeez. I just, you know, again, you guys have heard me say this. I think this is a thread for me. Like, anytime Metallica's doing something that sounds different for them, it's one of the reasons I like the Load Reload era. Right, yeah. I just gravitate towards it, especially when they pull it off. I think there's some of that insane anger that they didn't pull off. Ting, ting. No, thanks. Ting, ting. But... But this sort of weird um, ambient guitar, which I love ambient guitar playing. Yeah. I love David Gilmore and I love The Edge and all this. So 
the lyrics are super duper weird and creepy. They are, yeah. I, I do not know what it's about. It makes no sense to me. Right. It's some weird mystic shit. Uh, I think it might be about the devil in space. Oh my god. Astronomy. Satan and astronomy. Lunar, lunar, lunar Satan. This is like a new, there's like black metal, death metal, groove metal, alternative metal. Lunar metal. Lunar metal. Oh, lunar, satanic lunar metal. It's a new genre. You're going to start. I can't wait for it. Um, I love James's clean electric too. I mean, yeah, it's he. I don't know. It's just these really swirly guitars. Yeah, um, one of the highlights for me is definitely the leads. I think Kirk did a great job on this. Those like riffs. He has a lot of great stuff. You and I listened to this song one time at your at, your, at HQ too. We did. Yeah, um, when we were doing the top ten covers yeah. episode, and we were talking about all the leads on how Kirk just nailed them. Well, they do a cool thing where they pan. Obviously, James and Kirk are panned again. I'm talking about the panning. Where he does a da 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 da, and then James does it, and it the way it evens out, Jason does the last one. Boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom. That's a good Jason, by the way. <laughs> hey, it's me, Jason. Listen to this one. Bing. <laughs> the Seinfeld. We should do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good old Seinfeld bass. Oh, my God. Not many people know this, but uh, the Seinfeld bass lines were actually inspired by Jason Newstead. Yeah, well, I I knew that. We know know that because we were doing Metallica podcast. If you guys are are, um, keeping up with the covers, uh, this song is very similar in tone and vibe to When a Blind Man Cries, the Deep Purple cover on the third disc of Hardwire. Yeah, that one's great, too. Oh, my God. I can't. We're going to do the disc three, an episode on that whole disc. Oh, yeah. Um,. I love the outro, the Astronomy of Star shit. I wrote <laughs> about the original. I wrote these dudes were on fucking drugs for sure. About the original? Oh, when, for when sure. When they wrote this song. The, I mean, the song is really far out. Well, that, I mean, they had a song called Don't Fear the Reaper, too. Which is awesome. It's a great song. Another great uh, Blue Oyster Cult song, Burning for You. I'm burning, I'm burning, I'm burning for fuel. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did not plan that. Improvisation. One comment on YouTube for the Blue Usher Cult song says that uh, Metallica butchered it. One comment says that they destroyed it. It's just interesting that there's that difference of opinion. Like, it's the worst thing ever. It's the best thing ever. I just wonder if, if, if like, the, these Blue Usher Cult fans that are commenting on YouTube, are they, like, old dudes that, like, that was your favorite band of all time, so anybody that's going to cover it is not going to be better than the original? That's got to be. I mean, let's face it. How many new, young Blue Oyster Cult fans are there? Some 13-year-old kid who's a huge Blue Oyster Cult fan. That's, like, his favorite band? Yeah. I don't know. Bullshit. I, I, I don't believe it. You know, I, I think, and, and maybe it's, you know, it's different because, you know, we're musicians, but when I hear another band cover a song, even if I still prefer the original... I can still appreciate what they did. Unless sure. it's fucking garbage. Sure. But I can appreciate what they did. Um, you know, I don't know. There's there's things on here, on this record, that I prefer the original. It goes back into the sort of tribalism stuff. Are you asking me to pour you some <laughs> vodka right now, Clint? Well. I couldn't tell if Clint was stretching his arm or holding his glass in front of me. I am asking you to pour me another vodka. Are we just going to take a break? Stand by. How's that vodka? Uh, it's good now that you poured it for me. <laughs> but th- th- what I was saying was, like, the tribalism is like, 
the original has to be better because I'm on this team and the, right, there's yeah. no space for like why can't it why can't they both be good or like why does it have to be one or the other it's so black and white right well there's, I mean there's plenty of, plenty of examples throughout music history of artists that have covered songs that either they're both just as good or in rare cases the covered version almost becomes that band's song and overshadows it. like but the, the first example I always think of when I have these discussions with friends is the clash covering I fought the law right it's a fucking clash song now for sure you know um there's a lot of stuff out there like that, though. Uh, well, I, th- I think about it with the Beatles. You know, like my daughter and I are both. I'm th- I'm going through it again because she's into it, going through this Beatles thing. And um, you know, it's like almost like when people think of American rock and roll, like '50s and '60s yeah, American yeah. rock and roll, they think of John Lennon singing "Twist and Shout," yeah, which is a cover, yeah. or they think of John Lennon singing rock and roll music, which is a Chuck Berry cover, right? Yeah, or Ringo doing "Act Naturally," which is a Buck Owens cover. It's like, yeah. you know. The, the, those are those dudes aren't American, exactly. So they're yeah. approximating American rock yeah, and roll from, from New Jersey. Well, of course, they're from yeah, <laughs> Liverpool, New Jersey. I just don't. Um, I don't have any problem saying they they both have merit. They're both fine. Of course, yeah. Obviously, there's more power in the original in the sense that like they're the people who conceived the idea. Yeah, they wrote the damn song. Yeah, it came from their brains sure. and, and their collective band. I, I like hearing other artists' interpretations of songs. Right. I, I really do. I mean, and again, sometimes it's not good, but when it's good, it's like, oh man. You know what's a great example of both being really great is Live and Let Die. Guns N' Roses Live and Let Die. Yeah, I agree. And pa- Paul Mc- the, the Paul McCartney Wings version, it's almost flawless, but Guns' version is fucking a whole nother level. It is, yeah. Same with Knock on Heaven's Door. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these Metallica covers, I mean, even stuff on disc two, which we'll do an episode on that eventually. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I know you're not a huge fan of it, but you know, um, them covering Queen, Stone Cold Crazy. Stone Cold Crazy, yeah. I mean, it, it, it just takes it to another level. And the original is cool, but the Metallica version, it's like, oh shit, man, this is, I just, I just like, I just like hearing that Metallica sauce on something that yeah. they're influenced by. Yep. Well, speaking of Metallica sauce, I mean, next song, Whiskey in the Jar. Oh, dude. And this is great because this this is a traditional Irish folk song. And they're yeah, it's basic- kind, of, kind of cheating, right? Because Thin Lizzy didn't really... It's not really a Thin Lizzy song. Well, it, well, it, 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 this is their version in, inspired by Thin Lizzy's version of this traditional Irish right. folk song, which that's obviously huge in Ireland. And, you know, <clears throat> you know, any any band from Ireland has probably done this sort of thing. Um I love the lead in the song. And it's got that great octaver on it. Like yep. there's a, that's an effect it, and James does it all, but it's an effect where it's, it's a pedal called an octaver where it puts an octave. You can either do an octave lower or higher or both of the note you're playing. Right. It's just cool. Like it beefs it up and it gives it this really sort of different sounding tone. Oh yeah. Uh, and if you don't know what we're talking about, you know, uh, you can listen to a lot of like more, uh, somewhat modern, like white stripes stuff. Like yeah. Jack, Jack White White's big on that. Does that a ton. Yeah. Right. Um, Tom Morello would be another Tom Morello for example sure example of that. Um, I would say this is another what's become now a Metallica classic. Yeah, for sure. Um, and what's really cool about this song is that other than that part with the cool lead, um, it's like a major key song. Yeah, which is is very rare for Metallica. They don't do it often. It's, it's oddly uplifting, yeah. even though the lyrics really dark. Right. Yeah, it's just that mood that, and that's as musicians, you know, you can you can definitely set the mood by just the key of the song, right? If it's major or minor, you could have a song that's in a minor key, which is in, in general that's like sadder, the saddest of all keys, D minor. Um, this but, one's called "Lick My Love Pump." Lick, lick my love pump. 
Simple lines intertwined. Should put that in there. Trilogy, really, a musical trilogy that I'm doing in D minor, which I always find is really the saddest of all keys. Really, I don't know why, but it makes people weep instantly to play a. It's a horn part. It's very pretty. You know, just simple lines intertwining. You know, very much like I'm really influenced by Mozart and Bach, and it's sort of in between those. It's really, it's like a Mach piece, really. It's, what do you call this? Well, this piece is called uh, "Lick My Love Pump." But you know, you know, for these being dark lyrics, it's set to a major key, what is you know often often known as you know, just happier sounding right. key of a song. Um, and I love that when, when songwriters do that. You know, uh, obviously with the you know the original, but. Um, it's just cool. Like I mean, I, I, I'm trying to think. I've, I've probably written stuff in a minor key that sounds very dark, but the lyrics are happy, or maybe it's a love song or something like that. You know, it's a cool juxtaposition. That if you're it kind is. of paying attention, it adds a new dimension to what's enjoyable about the song. Right. Exactly. And it's a great showcase of James's lead work. The solo in the song. It's kind of actually a long solo, and I don't know how this song did not make our top solos. But James's solo in the song is severely underrated. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I think another. I was just uh, just popped in my head. Another good example of darker lyrics set to happier sounds on a song. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ramones are great at that. Mm. Like the song "The KKK Took My Baby Away" mm. uh, is, yeah, I believe it's in G major, and um, the song is about Joey Ramone and Johnny Ramone. They were basically hated each other, and at one point, Johnny Ramone took Joey Ramone's girlfriend. And the song's about basically his girlfriend being stolen by his buddies in a band with. And Johnny Ramone was such a hardcore Republican. He wrote the song, The KKK Took My Baby Away, talking about his guitar player. Wow. It's like dark shit, but the song's like... The his guitar player was the KKK? He wasn't in the KKK, but he was a hardcore Republican. He so was the KKK. He was. He was He he, he, he was from white pa- Paducah, Kentucky. <laughs> I think that's where it started, actually. The dude who played fiddle on Low Man's lyric, my friend Mark Evitz, is from Paducah, Kentucky. Really? Yeah. I have to I have to do uh, do my fact checking, but I'm fairly sure that's where the KKK started. In Paducah, New Jersey, or New, well, New Jersey, yeah, definitely New Jersey. Yeah. Um, the one thing that makes me laugh in this song, as I'm laughing right now, is when James has to. I wonder what he was feeling in the studio when he when he had to sing "Daddyo" and "Whiskey in the Jarro." It sounds like he's leaning into it to me. It's just, it's just, it's a little silly. That's the only part of the song. Well, that even I, the first line of the chorus, "Nah, my rain, nah, my do, my la da." It's like gibberish, you <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, yeah. But it's, I mean, it's a cool song, man. I, I mean, that that part just, it just makes me kind of chuckle a little bit every time I hear it. Like whiskey and a charro. It's kind of Hetfieldy, though. It is Hetfieldy. He doesn't, he doesn't sing it Hetfieldy though. It's not like, it's not like. Whiskey in a jar, oh! <laughs> yeah! Daddy-o. 
It's a great song. I mean, I, I like Thin Lizzy a lot, especially the guitar playing in Thin Lizzy. Sure, of They're, course. It's just a great, great rock band. But I definitely prefer this version. Yeah, me too. And I guess from some circles that's not allowed or whatever. But According to YouTube. <laughs> according to the to the brilliant think tanks in the YouTube comment <laughs> section. Yeah. Oh, a bunch of scholars Played 72 there. times. Last played in Antwerp, Belgium in 2017. This is one of the ones they're sort of rotating. Yeah. I'd love to see it live. Yeah, man. Uh, I definitely would. I was lucky when I saw them um, in 2000, I got to see them do Die, Die, My Darling, and So What? Wow. And it was, I mean, it, it was yeah. the two encores. They, well, then they did three encores, but the first two were the covers. Amazing. Yeah, it was great. Dude, yeah, that's so cool. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what else to say about the song. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's become a Metallica classic. If they go into it at a live show, the crowd goes crazy, and they're like, "Fuck yeah, I love the song." I have watched live versions of it. I've even watched this Antwerp version or one of the UK or not UK but European. They released a video of Whiskey in the Jar, like one of the official Met Club videos. Right. It does seem kind of long live. Yeah, it's just I when it's missing that. some of that production element. Sure. Because the guitars, I mean, every element, the guitars, the drums, the bass, to me, just are sonically very masterful. It's very crushing. The vocal right. is very um, expressive. There's a lot of character in it. I know I say that a lot, but I mean it. James is very good at that. Yeah. it's. It, I think it's what distinguishes him, especially beyond the hello. I mean, it's like, he's like a Bono type in the sense that his vocal presence is extremely powerful. Oh, yeah, of course it is. It just pops out of speakers. I mean, and he gets made fun of the whole, the whole, yeah, all you know, all that. Sure, he does, but Look, dude, I mean, but it, that shit pops. That's man. his thing, man. That's that. That's his. That's almost like his stamp. Yeah, you know. And there's even a, a, a great part in the year and a half in the life of Metallica, where Bob Rock's talking like we we need that Hetfield like yeah that's, woman that's, yeah woman. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Exit light, woman. woman. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, that, that's the thing. Like, it, it, it's kind of like when 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 Hardwired came out, and I immediately thought, like, oh, dude, Hetfield got in the studio, and, and like this, we've we've kind of got our old Hetfield back. Yeah, you know, he really went in the studio and like pushed his voice, and and he obviously had the time to push it. He can't he can't do that live every night, right? But um, but you know, it, it's it's just a part of the it's. It's how he sings. It's it's his signature. It's like Kirk with the wah pedal, like the James doing a yeah or a ooh, whatever. Or it's, Lars with his weird crash hits on two and all those. It, it, they, they all sort it, of add up. They all sort of make form this you know mosaic that ends up being what we all love about exactly. Metallica. Rob and the crab walk. <laughs> That's his thing. You took it there. I did. Sorry, sorry, Roberto. All right, let's talk about Tuesday's Gone. Do we have to? <laughs> you not a fan. Not a fan. Um, Are you a Leonard Skinner fan? Yeah, I like Leonard Skinner. And I think Tuesday's Gone is one of the most amazing songs. 100% agree. It's a beautiful, beautiful ballad. We, um, the country band I play with, this is maybe about four months ago, we um, we got to do, we were on a bill with them. Yeah. And it's obviously not a lot of the original guys. It's Ronnie, or it's uh, Johnny Van Zant and Gary Rosington were the only two original members. Right. But God damn it, they, so we got, we, we opened for them essentially and, um, we did, we got a really great response from their fans. The guy I play with, Rodney Atkins, um, I, very much in line with the sentiments of Leonard Skinner. So sure, yeah, we kind of killed the show. Had a good time, yeah. And then it was just, and we were playing at a um, 
it was a cas- we do a lot of casino gigs, but the casino gigs are so fun because your hotel room's right there. Oh yeah, it's right and upstairs. we usually don't bus out that night. We stay. So, and I know you felt this before. Our work's done. The artist has gone to bed. Yeah. Our hotel room is about a six-minute walk. It's an elevator right away. So here's what that means for us. Drinking, watching Leonard Skinner. Yeah. And we were able to go into this VIP, like the sound booth area. And, dude, we were just arm in arm, partly due to the alcohol. Tuesday's gone. Not only that, every song they played, we knew every fucking oh, word. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, like, it was just... It was Saturday just nine special. I mean, all, they, g- give me back my bullets. Of course, in Alabama, Freebird. Yeah. You know, even the deeper cuts, we are like, I'm on the hunt. Like we just, yeah. It was such a beautiful night. It's they're such a great band, and they just announced uh, a couple of days ago they're they're going to be done touring. I mean, God, that's a long ass career, real long, and just some of the coolest songs ever. So you're saying you're a big fan of uh, the band and the song, but maybe not this performance. Which well, I, well, I, so, the so performance the, is pretty rough, I think. Well, so the performance this is this is the one track live, on the record that they didn't record in the studio. They did it for a radio broadcast. Yeah, they they mixed it, but uh, this was recorded uh, December eighteenth and ninety seven uh, during the "Don't Call Us, We'll Call You" uh, radio broadcast on KSJO, which is in San Jose, California. Um, and this is th- this is the song that features all the guest musicians, right? And you so know. you got Pepper Keenan, you got Jerry Cantrell, Sean Kenny, Jim Martin, John Popper, Gary Rossington from Leonard Skinner, yep. Les Claypool on banjo, cool, very cool. So like a lot of cool guests on the song, but it just and, I, and okay, I, I don't want to totally dog on the song. Like I, I don't think the performance is great, um, but I understand the looseness of the performance because they're there at this radio thing with all their friends having a good time it's like a little in the round thing like hey let's get together and jam a song real quick yeah they, you're it, right it kind of had that vibe for me like even though the performance is kind of sloppy and Lars and his splash symbols drive me crazy yes but um it's just one of those it's it a, is cool that they committed to it yeah it's a cool moment yeah but maybe not a great performance well it's like the the moment is more important than the, exactly. than getting all the parts right there's right. Some, a lot of the vocals are kind of pitchy I will say for me uh, this is pretty recent for me is uh, through doing this podcast and knowing that James is such a big Corrosion fan I've kind of dipped into some Corrosion Conformity records yeah. and I got Deliverance which is the record that he does? A uh, manner James Hetfield guests on Manor Ash, right? Yeah, and I've just kind of been falling in love with Pepper Keenan. And yeah. for me, as a fan, uh, and I know many of our listeners are just way beyond this. They did this a long time ago, but it's taken on this new dimension of Pepper almost joining the band. I know. Okay, because Pepper and James are super tight. Pepper even stayed at James's house during the audition process, and Pepper actually took himself out of it. Yeah, I know, which is crazy. Because he, he basically, didn't even give him a chance to make a decision. He's like, nah, I'm going to... He just basically said... And I think he was right. Because, I mean, Corrosion... COC is its own deal, man. And Pepper is the star of that deal. So mm-hmm. I can see Pepper being like... And, and there's... Dude, there's a great video on YouTube. It's like an outtake of some kind of monster. But I don't think it was anything Joe Berlinger filmed. But it's after he had taken himself out. But he's still hanging in the Bay Area with right, the boys. Yeah. And he's sitting in the control room. It's Bob Rock, James, Kirk, and Lars, and Pepper. And he's basically, he's like, man, you guys can get anyone to come play bass, all right? He's like, I love Metallica. He's just sort of talking really plainly to them about like, yeah. you guys got to get the right fucking guy. Right, yeah. 
And Lars is kind of being like, well, we want it to be you, though. And he's like, ah, man, I'm not going to sit here and bullshit you, man. But you guys get He knew that he wasn't the right guy, is he, what he's, he's saying. He's almost like Tom Petty-esque to me in the sense that, like, you, you once you, like, because I've gone down some, like, YouTube rabbit holes. Sure. And you watch, like, an aggregate of interviews of Pepper, and you're like, is this the coolest guy in hard rock? <laughs> yeah, right. He's just such a likable, cool guy. And he's a great singer. Yeah. Like, when... And he's a total, totally capable bass player, even though he plays guitar in COC. And he played lead guitar in Phil Anselmo's side project, Down. Yeah. But to think about Pepper Keenan playing bass and bringing that BGV game Oh my gosh, his harmonies. Metallica, yeah, it would be amazing. It would be even beyond Jason. Yeah. It, it, it just would have just elevated the background vocal game so high. So oh, anyway, yeah. hearing this version for me, it's a real treat to hear. I can hear the joy from James being with Pepper. Right, yeah. I know that him and Jerry Cantrell are, are buds. Probably since the time that um, Alice was opening for them on the yeah. Nowhere Else to Roam tour or whatever. And you and I being huge Alice fans. Sure, yeah. Gary Rosington, of course, should be there. Les, I know, is a big friend of Kurt's. Old friends, yeah. John Popper's a bit of a... bit of a left turn there. They were probably like, uh, we need a harmonica player for this. Which John Popper, by the way... Do we know anybody who plays harmonica? One uh, of the greatest harmonica players of all time. Sure. No doubt. They were probably like, um, what about that guy from Blues Traveler? Call call his people. But I wonder if he's just friends with them. They, they might be buddies. I don't know. That that might be something that uh, someone could confirm or deny for I us. I have a few John Popper stories that Do I want to share. Really? Number one, remember the Horde Festival? <clears throat> no. H-O-R-D-E? I don't. Blues Traveler sort of curated this festival called Horde. Okay. When I saw them in 1990-whatever, it was like Fastball... Blues Traveler, fastball, it's good Bare band. Naked Ladies. Yeah. And I was in high school, and a more popular guy than me that I didn't know very well, I ran into him there. I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? This is crazy. We're at Horde. It's great. It was at the Oak Mountain Amphitheater in Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. So and you got like a traveling tour? Kind yeah, of thing? traveling okay. tour. Kind of like Lollapalooza. Yeah. And, and Blues Traveler sort of headlined it. But this was in their heyday, dude. This is when their record four was the song Hook was a huge hit. That was gigantic. Huge, huge hit. And he's like, man, I ran into this dude that I thought was really cool, really cooler than me. I was trying to be cool. Hey, his name was Trey Moreland. I'm like, what's going on, man? It's really good to see you. Like, you know, whenever you see like cool people outside of school sure, at yeah. an event, it's like, oh, this is my... Wait, you like that too? Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, what's going on, man? He's like, hey, man, I'm going to jump on stage tonight during Blues Travel. I'm just letting you know right now. Ooh. This is way early in the day because it was a whole day festival. Right. And I had like fifth row level tickets. Sure enough, man, Blue Shiver's playing, and I see this dude running, a huge running start down the aisle, down amphitheater. Oh shoot! Jumps, left foot touches the the the, the rail barricade. before barricade. Yeah. Right foot on the shoulder of the security guard standing in front of no. it. No. Jumps on stage, puts his arm around John. John Popper's looking real freaked out, by the way. Yeah. And me me doing this now for a living, I'm like, oh, I get it. I'm looking at Trey on the jumbotron. He immediately gets tackled by. As he should. Yeah. By it looked like uh, Blue Traveler Road Crew. Yeah, and they just drag him off. And yeah. his story about what they did to him after that was pretty crazy. Really, this is like mid '90s shit. He said they were like hitting all these pressure points on his body, like basically paralyzed him. Well, yeah, I mean, if it, well, there's probably like an actual security, like head of security there that like was able to fucking. Do he that said shit. they. He said they basically manhandled him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've seen it in per, uh, on the Kings on the, the Kings tour. This the, you last seen some year. shit get dicey. Oh yeah, I saw a dude that like basically. Uh, oh, it was in Birmingham. The, I'm telling you, that's where we come from, man. It was in Birmingham. We're rednecks. It was that little amphitheater there. 
outside of Birmingham. Oak Mountain Amphitheater? Yeah, same that's, one. Same that's one, in right? Pelham, Alabama. That's where I grew up. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I was there for two oh, days. Holy shit, that's yeah. crazy. <clears throat> um, long story short, uh, I, I walked on the bus I rode on. There was four buses on the tour. And there was a dude just sitting in the front lounge. And I immediately thought, oh. I've had that happen. Surely he's friends with somebody on the bus. And, yep. I, and I was like, hey, man, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, I'm here at Kings Leon. I was like, okay, but who? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm waiting for Nathan Folliwell. I was like, oh my God. And I immediately knew it was fishy that, because that's I was like, the drummer, by the way. It's the drummer. And I was like, okay, I know he's full of shit because the band wasn't riding on buses on this right. tour. They were just flying to each show. Right. It was just four crew buses. Four crew buses, yes. Um, the, there was two guys in the back lounge, and then I walked off the bus to go get our head of security. And your tour manager around or security around? No, I went to go get our security guy. He was literally in the, in the catering room about to have the security meeting with all the local security. And I was like, yo, there's a guy on our bus, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and the did. other two dudes in the back lounge, I told him, I'm like, hey, keep an eye on this guy. Because he, he kind of walked off. the. I kicked him off the bus. Oh, so you knew, took care of it. I, well, originally, I, I knew he was full of shit. And so I, I was like, hey, off the bus. I know you're full of shit. Wow. He kept saying that he was an old friend of Nathan's, Nathan the drummer. Which might be true. Who knows? Well, I thought, too, maybe they are. I mean, I'm like, dude, they got family members all over the place. Maybe he's some friend, cousin, whatever. But the story didn't really line up. So I got him off the bus. I told the other guys, the other two guys that were sitting in the back lounge, I said, hey, keep an eye on this guy. I'm going to go get my friend Jamie, who was our head of security. I went and got him came back out he brings the head of security for the venue and their crew and my buddy jay has this dude sitting down in a chair so he won't go anywhere that dude wouldn't answer a question wouldn't show his id nothing was being so like not compliant and at one point jamie had security was like stand up stand up right now and the guy wouldn't do anything he's like if you don't stand up we're going to make you stand up he wouldn't do it our head of security venue head of security lift him up the second they touched him he started swinging was he drunk no. This was at like 3 p.m. Oh, this is before the show. Oh, way before the show. The band was still in Nashville. That is super odd. Yeah. Um, that dude was on the ground. Oh, yeah. So fast and looked like a pretzel. Yeah. And within five seconds of being in pain, the guy's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just wanted to meet the band. I'm a fan. He's some. Uh, there was like a fence all around the backstage area. And I bought some, that one record one time so I conveyed all their privacy. Exactly. By the way, we don't all talk like that there. But that dude fucking had the balls. Oh. I, gotta, I gotta hand it to him. He walked onto a bus. Well, you know as much as I do that so much. And by the way, this is a little tip for you out there. You want to get backstage? You want to get into a VIP area? You want to get onto Kings of Leon's crew bus? All you have to do is just really behave like you belong there, and you can really get far. It's really not that hard, you can, actually. You can really get far if you just behave as if you belong there. If, if you're actually supposed to be there, or if or if you have if you have you get a, a radio, so that walkie-talkie essentially, but with like the the uh, I forget what you call it, but like the a piece, talk back, kind yeah, the of. piece that hooks up to your walkie-talkie, a receiver, go, yeah, it goes over your shoulder so you can talk. You know, uh, you know, go for Ethan. Um, if you have a radio on your shoulder and maybe like a guitar case in hand, that guy at the back gate is not going to ask you questions. I was going back to our bus. So we, we have two buses, our artist bus and our band bus. And all the, all the other guys had already gotten on the bus and I was saying hi to a family member or something. Coming back to the bus, I'll make this really short. And uh, this group of people kind of surround me like, hey, it's whoever's 16th birthday. It'd really mean a lot of you guys would all come out and sing happy birthday to her. So I'm like, Jesus Christ. All right. 
I'll, I'm like, let me go talk to the dudes. I'm, you know, I'm like, we can do this. Let me go talk to them. I go on the bus. You know, some dudes are in various stages of like changing from their show clothes to their sure, night yeah. night clothes. Some dudes might be smoking some weed in the back. We're just all in various stages of bus hang. Of course, yeah. I'm like, hey, dudes, I'm really sorry. There's this girl here. It's her birthday. You guys mind coming out, and we're just going to sing happy birthday. And every one of my band's really cool. They're like, yeah, yeah, just give me a minute. I turn around, and they had all come on the bus. Oh. They're all just standing in the front <clears throat> lounge. They just took carte they, blanche. They thought, let's just follow Clint. I'm like, get the fuck out of here, motherfuckers. Amazing. People, you know, I, I found this, and we'll get back to this record, by the way. I have found this, and we'll close with this. When people are big enough fans of bands, they have huge balls to do certain things, and they'll do it. Yeah. And it might be harmless, you know, at the core of it. They're just, they just want to say hi to the band or meet the band or whatever, take a picture. But it's mind-blowing the things that people will do to get backstage. And by the way, most of the time, backstage is the most boring area in the entire amphitheater. Right. It's like, oh, there's some guys pushing a case. There's some guys eating food. Yeah. There's some guys smoking a cigarette. That's what most of the music industry actually is behind yeah. the scenes. It's not that yeah. exciting. Well, all that to say, I don't like Tuesday's Gone. <laughs> I, I do think that um, it's a little too loose. It doesn't belong on the record. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, I'd imagine maybe, you know, they decided to put it on the record because it was them, their buddies. And here's the deal, a dude. Cool moments. It's nine, but, it's nine minutes long. It's long. It's, it's really long. It's fucking long. There's a moment in the documentary where they're listening down. To the, they've gotten maybe the stems. They or mixed the, it. And, and they mix it. And no one in the room looks excited about it. They all kind of look like yeesh. Yeah. yeah. It, it, is, it is my least favorite song. Lars, it's my least favorite. Yeah. Lars says uh, at the end, he says, that was a rock and roll moment. Hey, let's do that again. I'm like, no, thanks. Don't do it again. All right, last track, The More I See. The More I See by Discharge. Never performed live. Yeah. Um, I think, if you're you know if you going to put it, this is the second Discharge song on this record. They book into the record with Discharge right. We got. I'd almost rather hear this song as the opening track than than what you know what we heard. Well, uh, lyrically, there's not much else going on than free speech for the dumb. There's of course, yeah. But yeah, I do think it is a better song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they also throw in uh, the what's the his name? Br- Robin Tr- it's Robin Trower Bridge of Size, yeah, yeah. Um, I gotta say though, I do identify with you and I may diverge here, but I do like the idea of the song, which is basically the more I see, the less I believe. Yeah, verse one is from where I stand, I see pain, suffering, and misery. The more I see, the less I believe. From where I stand, I see hate, violence, and war. The more I see, the less I believe. I, I resonate personally with that lyric. I think I think that's easy to resonate with, even like in present day. Yeah, with I mean all the shit you see through social media, apathy. Yeah, it's like what do you actually believe? Punk, like punk rock was great at tapping into that kind of oh early yeah. on. Like oh yeah, Beatles are kind of summer of love shit or whatever, and you know, or or um, Elvis is doing the hound dog shit or whatever. Yeah, I do like the idea of like punk music ushering in sort of a more politically aware. Well, I mean, that was, aware. Yeah, that was huge. I mean, especially with the Clash. I mean, I mean, dude. I mean, the, the, the if it wasn't for the Clash, you wouldn't have a Rage Against the Machine or maybe a Public Enemy you or know? Millie Vanilli. Let's face or, it. Exactly, especially Millie Vanilli. Let's face it. Yeah. yeah. Face the music. Um, Robin Fab. Well, those are the names. Millie Vanilli. Robin. Oh, I, Robin Fab. I don't know their fucking names. I watched that behind the music. It was great. 
What's the song that they, that got stuck? Girl, you know it's girl, true. Girl, you know it's girl, you know it's girl, girl you, you know, know it's, it's girl, you know it's girl, you know it's girl, you oh know it's. Oh my god! That's when they were running tracks off cassette tapes. They were running tracks off cassette tapes. It was either that or back then it was may, may, may have been like ADATs. And didn't have a failsafe. Like, I have a friend who um, works for Lady Annabellum, which is this massive country band. Sure. And his job is Quarter to... Quarter after one. I don't even... You know more than I do about That's their music. That's a great song. It's, it's I'm sure... A, it's about a late night booty call. Well, I'm sure they did not write it, but... No, I know who did, though. Do you? Who wrote that? Pretty sure that one Paul? was... Paul? Paul? <laughs> uh, well, our friend Carrie Barlow wrote... Oh yeah, Carrie. He didn't write that one. He wrote American Honey. Carrie writes a lot of huge shit. I think his wife, though Hillary, may have something to do with that song. I could be wrong. Though. Okay, that's a it's a catchy ass song. Well, my friend Irwin is in charge of uh, he's in charge of their tracks, and yeah. so th- these days a tracks rig is an entire road case filled with rat gear and a you know a, it's a, a computer a laptop and yeah. um he has an entire it's an exact duplicate. Oh yeah, that's a failsafe. That if the one thing goes wrong, there's one running backup at all times. You can literally hit a button and just. Goes and you know, right I, that I one. think we probably have to thank Millie Vanilli for that. That 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 huge faux pas probably ushered in the yeah. the failsafe culture. Well, the problem the, the problem that Millie Vanilli had as well uh, one, is one of them is well the main issue with that 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 track rig skipping during a live performance was they didn't know what to do, so they kind of skipped off stage. But they did kind of like hopscotch off stage. But they That's, also didn't sing their own songs. Those weren't their voices. Right. It was a full, it was a f- the f- most fake band you could do. They, they were lip syncing. Yeah, they were faces. Like what you hear on record Face. isn't isn't those two dudes singing. Right. It's other singers. Right. If, well, it's it, it's sad because one of the dudes actually killed himself. He over killed it. himself. Yeah. Um, if you and if you haven't seen that Millie Vanilli behind the music, I mean, I know they're a silly band and all that stuff, but it's very, very enlightening and entertaining. Um, all that to say, the more I see is a fucking kick-ass song. I think. I think. I okay. So f- a final analysis for me: the record is a must-have, must-listen to. Agreed. Yeah. The Bob Rock production is. I, you know, I didn't, we didn't realize it at the time that. Um, we didn't know St. Anger was coming down the pike. So we had no idea. I don't know if I appreciated it at the time. I just thought business as usual for Metallica yeah. from Black Album, Load, Reload, Garage, Inc. Yeah. But now all these years later, I mean, shit, it's been 20 years. It's like, it's the really cool document of a sound they were doing that they've never... S&M is sort of that same thing. Sure. Maybe I Disappear, you could fit kind of cram that in there kind of but that's it that's the end of it right yeah because death magnetic of course saint anger the ting ting <laughs> is real different death magnetic is its own force has its own yeah. problems and its own strengths sure and even hardwired even though has elements of it the, the dream no more elements of it or the am i savages right. that kind of harken back to loading re- the bob rock era it's still kind of greg fiddleman has his own thing too so yeah, for sure i mean i'm excited to hear what greg does in the future with them this listening to this so much this week did make me wish they would do something with Bob again. I know. I mean, dude, it, it has He's that, so pro, man. It's got that Bob Rock hugeness that that Bob Rock those all those Bob Rock condiments he throws on top of this fucking meal. You know what? Even though he did the Black Album, which is pr- not only one of the biggest records of all time, but probably the biggest record of his career. Sure, he's still kind of underrated as a producer. I think. He's had a great career. He's wildly acclaimed. But don't right. don't you think in the sort of conversation about rock music that you and I and a lot of our friends like Paul are yeah. having all the time, it's like 
he doesn't get enough credit for the Black Album in some ways, right? Am I? I, I think I think you're right. You know what I mean? I mean, it was such a big record that maybe anything he did after that it's just swallowed. Was, it, I th- or maybe everything he did past and present and future is going to get overshadowed by the Black Album. You did the fucking Inner Sandman, The Unforgiven, Wherever I May Roam, all that stuff. I'm just thinking a lot about the differences between him and Greg, their dispositions, where Greg yeah. is way more deferential. I think Greg can be a taskmaster, and they like sure. that about him. But I just love seeing Bob not caring that he's working with Metallica, famous Metallica. Right. Kind of giving them some shit. Yeah, he's like, whatever. I did Real unimpressed. Dr. Feelgood and, you know. I miss that. And I think yeah. I think they I think they do well working with that vibe. Yeah. I would like to see them work with Bob again. I, I would think, too. I think it'd be really cool. Well, Knowing like, having all the knowledge they've gained post Bob. Well you heard it here first, folks. We we let's get that happening. Let's get the ball rolling. Well we want we want a couple things. We want them working with Bob. Here are our again. demands. <laughs> Here's our demands, James. You listening right now? Ooh, yeah, I am. <laughs> our demands are this. James is James here? Oh yeah. We want another record with Bob Rock. Yeah. What else do we want? We also and we want no taxation without representation. Oh, of course, that's a given. No, we also uh, in even came out of the, the mouth of Michael Wagner. We want a Fleming Wagner record again. Mm. So, dudes, let's not wait eight years for the next Metallica record. Maybe man. make two or three in that time. What do you say? I'm I'm in. Make I'm, an, make another load reload the double disc something. Do let's, something. Do something, man. Well, now, come on and do something. <laughs> so, concluding this episode, it's about time we get to our top fives. We uh, decided to throw out a top five, our favorite songs on this record. Let's start with five and go down to one. Why don't you go first? I'll go first. Happy to. Number five, Sabracadabra. All right. You heard our thoughts on it. This, this will be quick. Yeah, sure. Uh, number four. You may not agree with this at number four. Turn the page. I don't know why I wouldn't agree with it. No, I mean, like, I, I, well, I'd imagine it's higher on your list. Okay. Um, number three, this one you might roll your eyes to, Loverman. I understand. I, I Hearing you out on it, I understand. That, that chorus alone, the, the amount I've listened to it this week, it's fucking great. It's cool. I love it. No, I, I'm with you. It's cool. Yeah. It didn't make my list, but it is cool. Yeah. Uh, number two, The Merciful Fate Medley. I know it's like... 8,000 songs. Yeah. But it's fucking great. I'm with you. And I think you know my number one. Die. Die, die, my yeah, die. Yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah. You're a Misfits cat, man. Oh, yeah, totally. I like that about you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you? <laughs> uh, what you are, got? My number five, The More I See. Mm. Discharge. Nice, nice. It's just, it, it, it was my, um, out of their my top 10 covers of all time from them, it was my honorable mention. Yeah. Uh, number four, it's funny that you said all the shit you said before about the number fours. Okay. Turn the page. Oh, really? We Which matched. was your number four? <laughs> I, I just, I feel like that's like one of your top songs, so. I Man, I do have a kind of a thing with Turn the Page. Yeah. I really do. Uh, but that goes to show how much I like these other three. It's a sweet love affair. Number three is Astronomy. Yeah, you love that song. It's just, it's such a strange, cool song. There's so much personality in the vocal. It's a song that like... I still don't know what it means. Like every time I listen to it, I'm still yeah. learning. Like you know what I mean? It's yeah, sort of for sure. really rewarding on multiple listens. It sounds like you're having that with Loverman too. Yeah, agreed. We, you know, same thing. Yeah. Uh, number two is Sabracadabra, National Acrobat. Yeah, it's it's really good. Do you want to guess what my number one is? 
Your number one, let me look at the track listing here. I'm gonna go ahead and say your number one. <clears throat> I think uh, it's electric. No. No? Didn't make the list. <clears throat> Tuesday's gone. No. It's whiskey in the jar. It is whiskey in the yeah. jar. There's just something, in fact, I've, I kind of decided today I'm, I'm going to do that for volume two. I'm going to do just a real simple folk, like a Dylan version of whiskey in the jar. Kind of the way it was actually probably originally okay. intended, a ballad. So I, okay, so speaking of, uh, of doing uh, you know, more cover songs, so Metallica's covers aren't off limits. No. Interesting. Correct. Okay, that opens opens some things. But up. I will say it needs to be a it needs to be a fucking barn burner. Okay, okay, okay. Like it doesn't not that overkill's not a barn burner, but it doesn't need to be overkill. Sure. And it definitely doesn't need to be Tuesday fucking gone. No, not that song. I but I could see but you also you already do Misfits covers. I'm not gonna That's I, what I, you're I, thinking, aren't you? No, no, no. I I will say I, the, my initial thought was like I probably won't do Die Die My Darling. You, you, you know, need or to do, Green Hell and I was going to say you should do Green Hell because that's not one you do in your Misfits cover band. Take it. Hacksaw Jim Dugan doing Green Hell. Dugan. Duggan. Duggan. Um, well, there you have it. Garage Inc. Disc 1. We're going to do Disc 2 also, but I was really excited about this one because, yeah. you know, it sold 6 million records and we all kind of love it and know it, but yeah, it, totally. we, we don't... We haven't talked about it enough, even in our yeah, show. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot to talk about, but I'm glad we kind of spent some time with it. Oh, yeah, me too. We hope you enjoyed the time we spent together. We hope you liked it. Did you like it? Do you like us? Anyways, that's the key to that. Say it. Say it. <laughs> Green Hill. Uh, so thanks for listening, guys. Uh, email us, melbypodcastshowgmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on disc one. Give us your top five if you want. Maybe we'll read it on the show. Um, don't forget about Patreon. Go check that out. Go look at all the stuff. I will say, if you take one thing away from this ending thing, go leave the iTunes review. Just go fucking do it. It only takes a second, and you're going to end up winning some shit that we give to you. Oh, yeah. Do you want free shit? If you did win the stuff this week, make sure you send us that email, melbypodcastshow.com. Say that you won the thing. Give us your address. We'll send it to you. Yep. Uh, the Twitter, the Instagram. Good God, there's so much stuff to say. <laughs> yeah, I know there is. It exhausts you, me. You can. It, it is exhausting. You can find us online. How about that? Type in Metal Pure Podcast, and you'll find all the shit. It's like Sandra Bullock in the net. Remember yeah. that? Oh yeah, that was like '90s shit. It's like '95. That movie came out when I worked at Blockbuster Video. Oh my God, you were your Blockbuster Video. Oh yeah. We, man, it was a great job. I got five free rentals a was week. Was there a porn room? No, no, Blockbuster never did that. At least when I worked there. Okay. There was, I, there was no questionable room. There was like... A questionable room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is every room I'm in, by the way. Right, yeah. This room right now is questionable. <laughs> um, there was definitely like a, maybe like an NC-17 area, but... That's what I'm talking but, about. Well, but it wasn't That's like, what I'm talking but about, But 17. <laughs> 17 years old. Yeah, it's like I know what you did last summer. Exactly. <laughs> Um, and, and and deep throat. It, and deep throat. <laughs> it was a cool job because I got... It's just one huge shelf with those two movies on right, it. Right, yeah. <laughs> what was the movie with uh, Nev Campbell and Denise Richards where it was like really controversial? Wild Things. Wild Things. Wild Things, yeah. Wild Things, Wild Things, yeah. Because they like made out or something? I saw it a few times. Wasn't Kevin well, Bacon they, they in They did a little more than make out. Yeah, Kevin Bacon's in it. Yeah. Oh, the bake, man. Bacon. Yeah, the He's bake, He's bacon, bro. man, bro. All right. On that note, thanks for listening. All right, peace. Adios. If you were our 
advice or what would you say? Then I would say delete that. <laughs>